and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Clay Williams. You, you, uh, no bit? You just forgot oh. a bit? <laughs> I think I just forgot. I thought, one. Okay, no bit. All right. I'm wearing a scorpion. I'm wearing a scorpion leather jacket. Uh, that is, if you're in a, a somewhat gritty or bloody uh, career, a bad idea is to wear a white jacket. Not a bad, just a bad call. Right. White jackets are like, and it sort it sort of goes like the opposite idea right. of like most criminals dressing in black because they're gonna well. get dirty. They're gonna you know do criminal things. Like, so yeah. it's like you can't. They're not. Yeah. They don't want to yeah. stain any yeah. of their clothing. I wouldn't. And it's it's still surprise so surprising to me that it's not like, I mean, on the one hand, it is an original idea to have the scorpion jacket be this iconic image, but they really stole it from the Ken Thanger movie. Scorpion Rising, where it's just like I think that was at one point a shot of a scorpion, and it's just like that's sort of right. the driver's like superhero right. look. I, I just think he probably should have done purple yeah. or something. You know, because it's, um, it's like, and again, you're, you look at the end; <laughs> it's all it's all muffed up, it's scruffed up. There's a lot of blood on it. I don't know how he's gonna clean that out. Does he take yeah. that to the dry cleaners? Is that like is that a home <laughs> remedy? Does he go on YouTube? Yeah. And whenever he has on like the blue denim jacket, it's like. Something feels off here. <laughs> yes, that is yeah. true. Yeah. Does he also wear jeans with that? Like, it's a lot of I, denim. I think. I, if it's not jeans, it's like a different color jeans. It's like black denim. Too much like denim. Blue denim jacket. Uh, it almost feels like he's like uh, dressed casually, right? right? Like the uh, scorpion jacket's like a suit. Like, I always find it so funny where it's like, I don't know, people think, oh, casual. Let me wear all denim. I think that is super <laughs> casual. It's like, I mean, it is, but it's also like, it's going to raise an eyebrow because it's like, right. oh, you're making that choice. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is like a level of artificiality to it as well. Um, like, uh, you know, he's a, he's a Hollywood stuntman, took the jacket from a, from a movie set. Right. And when he's wearing it around, it's like, okay, you're kind of like, yeah, where do you buy that? set for a while. Yeah. Like, where, where do you, you, <laughs> you don't, you don't go to yeah. Spencer's and yeah. like, give me. <laughs> that scorpion jacket yeah. i want it like you know you don't, there's not that's not at macy's maybe and at I'm a sure, pawn shop i'm sure in like 2011 2012 this was a minute of people dressing up as the driver for like halloween and such with like the hammer and the toothpick and the and the jacket like that that's the whole the whole look uh but enough of that um why don't we get into what we've been watching recently before drive i have been watching a very random assortment of films uh if it falls I of this if if it falls under the action slash thriller genre i've been watching it usually uh i did some scott atkins so like a lot some some like direct-to-video uh, action films some stuff on netflix a lot of foreign action films uh i watched ronin a few days oh, for ago frankenheimer right um yeah the you know de niro film uh very Jean much Reno, different right very much different from a scott adkins film uh, <laughs> i watched day shift the netflix movie enjoyed that mm-hmm. quite a bit um yeah i've just been watching i i've been watching a ton of movies like the most movies i've seen in a, like been watching in a while but just random stuff i'm i have this list going of again a random assortment of movies that fall under the action or thriller genre Mm. Um, and I'm just trying to just watch a whole bunch because a lot of them are streaming and a lot of them like, do you have a watch uh, list of action thrillers? 
right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. The one movie I want to shout out since like under a thousand people have logged it on Letterboxd, meaning it's kind of underseen. Uh, Wyra, W-I-R-A. Um, I think it is, what is it, Indonesian? No, it's not Indonesian. It's, uh, oh boy, I forget. But it's an action film on uh, Netflix. Uh, it's really, really solid. Um, so, you know, there's an act, uh, some actors and, uh, produ- um, stunt people who were on the, you know, did the raid films as well. Malaysian. It's a Malaysian film. Mm. Um, really, really, really good film. So that's, that's, if, if I, you know, out of all the ones I've seen recently, that's the one I want to shout out. Why yeah, it's so ironic Netflix? too. Like that's the lowest viewed. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's really, really solid. Um, mm. It very much uh, has like you know MMA focused like fighting style, uh, but also has a decent story and yeah. is looks really good. Um, I I think I think I looked it up like the budget if it would be transferred into like American currency is like a million dollars and like or like one million and seven hundred thousand dollars, and it looks better than most blockbusters. Mm. Like just. And the action is much better than most block bu- American blockbusters. So it was just yeah. one of those things where I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Right. Where'd you find that one? Uh, just rant. So uh, Robert Daniels had a list of, um, you know, like underseen action films on streaming. I've seen a few other people recommend it, like our friend Vice. Um, my mm. dog is now just approaching me. Okay. He's going to sit there. That's fine. Um Cast is all in for Nick Reffin talk. He's a huge fan. Loves Oh My God Forgives. <laughs> big fan. Um, but yeah, that's really in. I've been playing the Guardians of the Galaxy movie that came out. Or not movie, uh, video game that came out uh, in 2021. That's been fun. Yeah, and you know, we're just coming off of Action Month. That action will month, be, action I month, think action that, month. <laughs> uh, this one will be released just after this is action month is ending and you know it's kind of cool that you're carrying uh, um you're carrying that same energy from what we just started in, uh from when we just covered all those um and it's interesting the fact that drive and we'll get into this a bit later i'm sure it was heavily mismarketed you know to be this like you know kind of uh much, much more like pulsating like thriller than actually was where the actual product's much more meditative um and uh yeah you know it's it's like this one is sort of like the opposite end of of like the stuff that you've been watching um and the stuff that we just covered uh for me catching up with a few new releases uh fire of love i just saw recently uh, i thought this was fantastic and surely i think it's gonna probably be in my top 10 of the year like it's so so good and uh great just that? like story it's a, it's about the two volcano scientists who are who've been married for like a number of years and and it's like their study yeah it's a doc yeah it premiered at sundance um miranda july narrates it uh it's like more wes anderson <laughs> than i was figuring it was going to be uh just just like the outfits and the kind of characters they over on into are just kind of like very quirky and has a very like playful sense of humor but like a big heart at the center of it it's just it's just great it's like it doesn't overcomplicate itself either i found where it's like it could have um you see you know, it's like, yeah 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 um 
and no, I just I just think it's sort of why volcanoes are like very cinematic too, because it's like you know it's sort of like the unknowable, right? That we, that we go to try to throw ourselves at, but uh, no, it's it's amazing. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I saw it out of Sundance. It was my favorite documentary out of Sundance and um, yeah this is probably the best doc that I've seen yeah I saw it again at South by because they uh, screened it at the Paramount which is the bigger theater at in Austin and um, you know I ruled on my computer but I was like I gotta see this like lava river on the big screen I cannot recommend enough seeing it on the big screen if Mm -hmm. you can because the lava is just astounding I can't believe they shot as close as they did to to it with like regular cameras in the 70s and 80s it's like what are they doing they they were nuts but um (laughs) if you can't make it to see it in theaters it should be debuting on disney plus sometime in the next few months because it's it's a nat geo it's a nat i was gonna say yes it's It's also it's also neon yeah nat geo and neon so um it'll end up on disney plus eventually Mm -hmm. um can't recommend it enough. I have been watching, it's funny you mentioned Robert Daniels, um, that is my boyfriend, and he's been getting into Antonioni, which was a filmmaker I got really heavily into about 10 years ago when I was learning Italian. Um, so I've been re-watching Antonioni with him, and it's been really fun because, one, I like watching him watch movies that he loves, and two, although the one he liked the most, he watched while I was asleep, and I'm like, damn. But um, that was that was Red Desert, which is, I said, Ooh. I think it's Monica Vitti's best performance, so I'm really glad he loved it. But mm-hmm. it's been really fun rewatching those films uh, because they're so rich and so um, his composition is, is really unique, the way he uses the, the framing. Um, and I don't know that you see a lot of filmmakers really think about framing so much that way anymore. With, you know, with digital, you can always, it's a lot easier to zoom and change your framing and post and... So you don't have to necessarily be as careful. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Antonioni, you know, he was he was like a photographer and he's just very careful, very uses the negative space to sort of mirror the negative space inside his characters. And just revisiting those films has been really delightful. Uh, re- reminded me why I loved Antonio so, Antonioni so much 10 years ago. And now I'm like, oh, I should rewatch these more often. Yeah, they, I, they would seem like something that would develop with age or it's like you start to see so much more uh at on rewatches with longer distances between them it's not even that they're good that complex but there's so much subtext there yeah uh, and just like with the big open landscapes and they're just so haunting they, yeah. emotional maturity is such a very un- undervalued thing when it comes to how it helps you appreciate art later in life yeah mm. there's definitely i think the most successful long-lasting sort of masterpiece films are ones where every time you visit you come away with something different both in terms of the plot but also the emotions involved um which is why i like to rewatch drive no <laughs> actually i have seen drive a million times um mm-hmm. it ended up being my favorite uh film of the decade and it was like one of the first i saw in the decade <laughs> it was like huh. it was kind of oh, like it's kind of funny it's yeah. kind of like how um uh, the I think it was Pitchfork maybe put Bombs Over Baghdad as the best song of the 2000s and it was like one of the first singles of the 2000s it like peaked that's funny peaked. I, felt, I feel like that way about Drive I loved it when I saw yeah. it 
I've loved it yeah, ever I, every year since. It's got to be like that longevity has to give you like a bigger appreciation just because you're just like you just have like a fondness because it came so early on. Yeah. Yeah, and every time it's a movie. Every time I watch it, I notice something new, or the the tension is still there. I know what's gonna happen. I know, but I'm still tense. I'm still freaking out. That's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Yeah, um, lovely for you to segue into Drive. But before we get fully into it, uh, why don't we learn about a little bit about you and your first time falling in love with film and <laughs> sort of where you're. Where your love of cinema came oh, from? Oh well, part of it is just like I was—I was born this way. My parents, um, not so much my mom, but my my dad was a big film person because he was a sickly kid in the fifties and sixties, and would just stay home and watch whatever movies were on, like the local, you know, I don't even know what channels they had in the sixties, but he just stayed home and watched movies when he was sick whatever was on on broadcast tv um a lot and so I don't remember a time without you know and I was born in the 80s so um as I was growing up my parents had access to VHS right so I was definitely we always had movies from the rental store um when I was really young my hometown's a very small town in northern California it had I don't know four or five different video rental stores and now they don't have any. The Top Hat video was the last surviving, last man standing, and it closed about five years ago. But at the peak, there was, we just, every day, every weekend, we would go to a different one. And um, my dad eventually, you know, joined a Columbia house and got like 10 or 20 movies for a dollar and then and then quit Columbia house. <laughs> he, he actually remembered to cancel his membership. And so he really... So, like, we had, like, Bill and Ted and, and The Seventh Seal and, like, all kinds of random... Not The Seventh Seal, um, Seven Samurai and um, just all kinds of, like, random movies. There wasn't ever one right. genre, like... And then, you know, I was also one of those kids that just was glued to the TV, but instead of watching cartoons, I was, like, watching Encore. Um, so whatever Encore showed, like, Tron, I think I saw Tron, like, a hundred times as a kid. Um, mm. And... So I was always watching cinema, and but I think the moment where it changed from like, oh I love movies to like oh my god movies are art was I mm-hmm. um, I think I was about fourteen, thirteen or fourteen, and I was really obsessed with George Clooney. This was the heart, uh, the like the the not the heart, the um, pinnacle of him being on ER, and I was like mm-hmm. I gotta watch all the George Clooney mm-hmm. movies. So I rented. I rented The Thin Red Line because George Clooney's in That's it. That's so funny. That's and awesome. anyone who's seen The Thin Red Line knows that George Clooney literally has 20 seconds of dialogue in this, like, three-hour movie, three-and-a-half-hour movie. Um, well, how did you even know he was in it? His name's on the poster. Yeah. Because oh, he was right. so famous that they used yeah. his name to get people to come see it. And I think they, he's on the very end of the poster. Yeah, his face is there. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah. it worked because I, I checked it out for him, and then I... You know, so I came uh, like a horny, you know, teenager for George Clooney and left a cinephile. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's and, awesome. And you know, I've that's another movie I rewatch every year. And mm-hmm. I, I actually, whenever I'm on a long flight, I look to see if it's on there. I've watched it on at least ten flights, um, exactly as Malik intended. But um, <laughs> it's it's the movie that made me realize that like you could do more with cinema. Right. And and then yeah. I started seeking out more challenging films from there and then I just sort of turned into the person I am now 
Yeah. Right. You right, left right. a was... thin red line thinking like, who is this Elias Coteas? <laughs> I did. He's the best. Why didn't he get an <laughs> yeah. Oscar nomination? What happened I, there? Truly. Underrated actor. Always. Yes. Always. Yes. Was your dad ever trying to push stuff on you? Like, you got to see this. You got to see that. Or was it more natural? He... Like, I remember uh, he would always wait till we were kind of the right age for certain things because he got in trouble because he showed my my brother King Kong when he was, like, three, and my brother had nightmares for years. So my mom was always trying to get him to, like, have a little more caution. It didn't always work. Like, right. I saw um, Fire in the Sky in theaters when I was seven, and I still have nightmares. He took me to see Event Horizon celebrating his 25th anniversary. I was 11, and I should not have seen that movie. But, um right. He would introduce us things that meant something to him. So I remember distinctly in middle school, I think, he, my mom decided we were old enough to see Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I watched it, and I totally understood my dad's humor after that. Um, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So, you know, it would be, kind of be like that, where he would introduce things that meant something to him. And sometimes I would I would fall on a movie that meant something to him, but he didn't tell me till after I watched it. So, like, I saw Harold and Maude because a teacher recommended it and he saw me watching it and he was like oh that's one of my favorite movies and and then he got all emotional and I my dad never gets emotional and he got all emotional about like how Harold like learns to live and Maude's getting ready to die and I was like oh my god this is I wasn't expecting this yeah Yeah. Yeah. and then sometimes he would like I would start renting movies um like they gave me carte blanche to rent like R-rated movies at the video rental store so I would rent like I, I rented um um, clerks and and my dad came home and he was like oh my god you you rented clerks always wanted to see that and I was like I guess we could watch it together and I don't know if you've seen clerks but it goes places and I'm sitting on the couch right. like watching it with my dad and I'm like well we're both laughing at the same jokes so that's good right. <laughs> but I don't know yeah, that I would have yeah. wanted to watch you know clerks with my dad but <laughs> but we have a very similar sense of humor, so I think it worked out. That's good. And then yeah. he would—he was very supportive of seeing like girly movies with me. So like, we were out of town one time for a doctor's appointment, I think, and I was like, "Can we? Can we go see Coyote Ugly?" And he was like, "You know what? Sure." <laughs> so like, he watched Coyote Ugly with me. I don't know. He was—he was very supportive about like anything I wanted to watch. You can kind of see like connection too with like Elden Mod and uh, Holy. Uh, Monty Python, where it's just sort of like those two. I, you wouldn't think at first, but I think once you think about it, um, they do a, share a similar sense of humor. Yeah. And, one of my uh, mom's she, favorite movies is Harold and Maude. Yeah. She also like loves them. It's one of those movies where it's just like, it's like not too out of left field. Like when your parent says that's one of my favorite movies, you're like, oh yeah, okay. But it's still, mm-hmm. but it's cool enough where you kind of appreciate it too. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's, it's one of those like, oh, you have like nuanced taste in film but it's also not like oh my god what you like that movie it's in that middle it's in that middle yeah uh, you can kind of if you say to like an older generation that you you have you love uh how ashby movies you're just like you're sort of in because like that that like informed a sense of humor for for that generation and also the generation of filmmakers where it's like everyone always points like wes anderson or like uh several other indie filmmakers is like pulling from Ashby's work, you know. Um, I'm just yeah, now just, imagining uh, going up to a 20 year old and you're like, I love Hal Ashby movies, and then being like, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who? What? Yeah. Is that like a sentence you can say? Is yeah. that a, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, but I feel like if, if you showed someone our age, like 
Perldemont, they they kind of they would recognize it as something that's like an independent movie that just came out in like the seventies. I showed my family once. Um, God, I love this movie, but for some reason I'm blanking. It's the Peter Sellers film. Um, being there. Being there. God, yeah. I, I should be shamed. Um, <laughs> I showed my family that, thinking it would be a slam dunk, and for the most part, it was but like my cousin anna shout out um she was not a fan she's like i didn't Mm. like that because she perceived it as it's you know i i think she just felt uncomfortable with the the, this the the situation the film presents um which is understandable but i find that movie to be beautifully empathetic and i think that just the inherent situation of it kind of put her off of that idea um, which is completely fair. But it's one of those things where you kind of realize, oh, yeah, this isn't all... Like, these kind of movies aren't always going to be, like, a hit, no question. Like, this yeah. isn't Back to the Future or whatever, where you're, like, people are just, like, like that movie. This is... No, it, uh, I, I think it's know. weird to think of being there as, like, a huge, like, critical success and, like, award success, because, like, it is so idiosyncratic, and it's lasted through many decades, yet it's one of those classics where, like, you, you don't know if it's going to go over as well as... As something else. Yeah, it was, it was, this is funny. Like, yeah, it just I'm comparing that to like my biggest success ever as like someone who showed a film to a fa- to my family, which was Dolomite is my name. That's the mm. biggest success I've ever had. That was a ten out of ten banger. Of everyone just loved it. I tried there was to not a single person. I tried to show that to my parents the last time I visited, and they could not find their Roku remote. That's and so they couldn't funny. figure out how to get Netflix otherwise. And I was like, well. But not to not to toot my own horn, I did a full length feature commentary with the director and co writers of Dolomite is my name. You can type in oh, awesome. watching with uh, Netflix and then the title and it should pop up. Um, yeah. Watching with was the name of a short lived feature length commentary podcast that I produced while I worked at Netflix. So there you go. <laughs> Craig Brewer. Craig Craig dude. Brewer, yeah, Larry yeah. uh Karzuski and Scott Alexander. It's a really fun um uh commentary if i don't speak that much because the three of them just have at it and then they bring me in when they you know wanted to prove a point (laughs) which was kind of fun (laughs) which is kind of fun but um it's it's such a fun movie i don't know anyone Mm -hmm. who dislikes it yeah it's a matter of time until someone brings it to us i'm sure uh and larry especially i i i mean he could have his own commentary for several other films and yeah that would all be spectacular yeah um but yeah today you brought us Drive, um, yes. one of those that when I say that we're going to be covering Drive soon to people, they're always like, I just assumed you already had, because this is sort of a defining 2010s work, and it's very interesting that we've gone over 150 episodes now, and yet things like this that feel iconic uh, slip through the cracks, right? So uh, yeah, why don't you just introduce us to your first time going to see it and how it came into your life? If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Is that dangerous? It's only part-time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Kid, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. 
So am I. My husband is coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. What is that you got there? One of those men gave you that? What's the job? When you get your money, his debt's paid. You never go near his family again. <gasps> Did you have any idea there'd be a second car? He said there'd be another car to hold us up. Whose money do I have? I'm gonna tell you something. Anybody finds out we're both dead. That's why this driver's gotta go, Bernie. He's gotta go. you have or plans for your future I think you're gonna have to put that on hold for the rest of your life you're gonna be looking over your shoulder yeah so obviously uh it won best director at can that's how mm-hmm. i that's how i got on my wavelength with the palm as yeah well. that's how i got on my wavelength and my roommate at the time this is when I was in grad school and I was living in San Francisco. She was really obsessed with Ryan Gosling, as a lot of people <laughs> yeah. were at this time, as you know, Tumblr people in particular. And um, so they had uh, uh, the the I think they were called GoFobo passes. You know those free. Um, you sign up, you get a free pass for two people. You have to sit down in line forever, and then you see the movie for free early. Yes. Yeah, yes, so yes, so they were yes, a big yes, proponent yes. of that because uh, I'm not going to say their name so they don't we don't get arrested. What we would do is we would go to one of those and then sneak into another movie and get two movies and not pay for it. That's what we did. Um, really, That's super close. Really great way to do things. Because um, of the, like, the 10 o'clock shows at AMC, no one's ever paying attention. But um, So that's how we saw Drive the first time. And it was packed and really strange mixed audience because there were a lot of you know, like, notebook fan-type girls there who clearly wanted one kind of movie out of Ryan Gosling and stayed and for a completely different kind of movie. That's so funny. Um, but over the course of... I think that was in September of 2011. Over the course of the next month, we saw that in theaters together uh, three more times. And then I saw it again at the Castro um, in 2012. They had it doubled with Take Shelter, which I had seen Take Shelter earlier also, but I was like, I gotta do the Drive Take Shelter double. Then they showed it again um, with Drive and Taxi Driver, so I think within six months or so of it being out, I saw it in theaters six times. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. I think it's yeah. tied, now that I'm thinking about it, I always tell the story that Star Trek 2009 is the theater, movie I saw in theaters the most, but now that I'm remembering, I actually think Drive is tied which makes me feel a little better. Although Star Trek 2009 is mm. still good. Um, yeah, and I fi- if Drive ever like plays again uh, in theaters, I will see it. I will see it every time. It's just, it's perfect. I don't, I don't know. Mm. That's my take. <laughs> wow. That's I, my story. I'm still like 
getting over the take shelter double th- I've never even considered that to be yeah a, like a thematic comparison how did they play I don't remember back to back yeah Do I don't, okay. honestly yeah. I don't remember but it was a great it was a great double yeah, feature I, take shelter is like the, the drive taxi driver the drive taxi driver made a little more sense yeah right of course of course and you know of course like people will always point to like the obvious influences taxi driver or the driver the or driver. samurai like yeah i'm sure it's like pretty apparent but it still feels like its own thing and then the you know, samurai is the one that hits the most yeah. i think so at least as a character piece yeah. yeah yeah i agree with that uh and then coming after this and uh, coming after 2011 you kind of see like it has a major cultural footprint afterwards with things like Baby Driver and You Were Never Really Here. Of course, like, people will say, like, it's Drive plus, like, there's the, there's the, you know, uh, there's the playlist that acts like another character, you know? It's right. it's interesting, where it's like, it really does feel like it has this life carried on, where it's, uh, and for myself, I, I think I remember just, like, always hearing about this, like, I, I saw, I saw, like, 2015 2014 a few years after it came out and seeing like oh no i know what it was only god forgives was had came out and i had heard about um some scenes in that and my cousin who saw it was like you gotta see this movie it's so gross and like it has such cool colors and like he had seen like only god forgives where it was like this big deal but they hadn't really seen anything like that where he's just like, well, you gotta, you gotta see us, and um, so I'd like always heard about Drive and Who God Forgives, and then when Neon Demon was coming out, I had seen that first actually. I, I'm pretty sure, and I saw it just because like I was following film festivals around the time of when it had its festival run, um, and then that led me backwards to Drive, and then Drive led me to like Bronson and uh, Only God Forgives. And I remember, I just remember, yeah, I remember being, like, really struck by Drive and just, like, it's, it's imagery and, and sort of, like, what really wasn't being said versus what was actually being said was, like, so much more striking to me. Um, I remember being really sick, too. That always will stay with me. I had, like, mono when I saw it. Oh, no. <laughs> I saw it, like, like uh, I think that really, like, helped almost. Or just, like, it has this big, big beating heart at the center of it. Um, but, yeah, like, I was just, like... I was had I had this like running fever. I was just like, wow, this is great. Like I'd never seen anything like that. I was like, oh, this is great. I love fevers. Yeah, yeah. I, love, I love me a yeah. good fever. This yeah. is amazing. Uh, yeah, but I was like 16, I think. No, it's was, it was fantastic. I, I feel like its reputation really preceded it too, because I'd come in with like so many expectations, where it was like this cool, slick thing, like this sort of retro style. But um, yeah, and Ryan Gosling, of course, like had a lot of. He had a lot of goodwill going out of this as well. Like, he hadn't played a character like this. And then, like, like we've talked about with Blade Runner, I feel like, sort of, this will in- inform later performances. When was The Place Beyond the Pines? 2013. It was, like, a few years later. I think, so I think that was 20, fr- 2012, wasn't it? Because I was still in grad school when that one came out. Oh, maybe it's... Uh, maybe it was early 2013. I'm looking it up. Yeah, yeah. I definitely so, saw that with the same roommate. So. Right, right, of course. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, 2012, because it was Drive, oh, okay. Ides of March, Place Beyond the Pines. We we yeah. saw Crazy Stupid Love, Drive, Ides of March, and Place Beyond the Pines together because she was in love with Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Sheep. Um, yeah. I was gonna say yeah. that's 
commitment. I must be getting confused of the release dates with Only God Forgives and Place Beyond the Pines, but I really love that only uh, Crazy Stupid Love and Drive are the same year because they're just like completely different. Um, well, I was going to say... And Eyes of March, like, yeah. All three are, are March, different, right. yeah. Well, I was going to say it's like Drive is Gosling's breakout of the heartthrob. Like this is... Mm-hmm. I mean, he is somewhat still in the, in the way, you know, aesthetically a heartthrob in this because he's a very yeah. gorgeous person. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, characteristically... He is very much trying to show his range and also yeah. show that he's not worried about his quote unquote. Well, I don't know. Like it, it was one image, of those things that this. I guess. Yeah, but it's not like this hurts his image because he's ridiculously cool in this. Yeah. And I think this is the prototypical cool character after this is released. Yeah, and something coming off of something like Blue Valentine shows like I choose interesting scripts in something that I may not play a likable person. Because uh, I think people going into Drive expecting one Gosling and getting another out of it, like Mariah had said, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened a lot of times. Oh, I I feel like everybody who, like all the girls who fell in love with him with the, in The Notebook kept going to his films after The Notebook. And like mm. the only one that's kind of in the same vein is Crazy Stupid Love. All the others right. are like these, like, Stay is a psychological thriller, Half Nelson's a drama, Fracture's a thriller, like, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like um, Robert Pattinson. I feel like a right. lot of, it sort of changed a bit, but for the first few years after Twilight, girls would just go to Robert Pattinson movies and accidentally see, you know, like, a revisionist, revisionist Australian Western, <laughs> and they're like, oops, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now it. Now it. Now he's. Now all. Now all the boys and all the girls now want to go see uh, any Robert Pattinson <laughs> yeah. movie they can find. You yeah. know, it's so funny. You love to see it. It was so funny. I, I, I was talking to. Uh, you know, I, I I mentioned Anna earlier. I was talking to Anna right before the Batman comes out, and she was like, "Are you gonna see the Batman?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course I'm gonna see the Batman." Like, what are you talking? You're talking it's to like my, right? Yeah, and she's like, "Yeah, I want to go see that with you." And I'm like, "You do?" It's like, "I want to see Robert Pattinson as an emo Batman." Right. And yeah. I'm like, "All right, this is this is truly cross the spectrum." Like, she's yeah. someone who is very much has no real connection or opinion or even any kind of uh, interest in anything superhero related. And me, like, kind of a comic book nerd, it's like, she was like, I need to see, like, Weepy and, like, Eyeshadow, Pattinson, ASAP. Yeah. And you can see, and we've, in the number of times that we talked about Robert Pattinson, like, you can see someone over the decade, like, changing their career in real time, which is always so cool to look right. back at. And now he's going to be in a fucking Bong movie. And it's like, what <laughs> know, the fuck? Yeah. It's, it's almost one of those things where you're like, you can't. This is almost too good. You're not allowed to make these good of like a, th- these. This such such a great career move. Like this is yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, he's just making all the right choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I going to say? Drive. Yeah. So my experience with Drive is, I saw it in 2015, like 10 days before I turned 16. Um, I. I loved it at, at, immediately, and it's also one of those films when you're getting it, like, the t- in the time when me and Jack are first, like, kind of getting our feet set into the idea of being film watchers and 
some someone who appreciates uh, cinema in general. It's one of those movies where you're like, have you seen Drive? Have you seen Drive? Mm. You gotta see Drive. It's an easy. Everyone sell. needs to see yeah. Drive. It's one of those things that gets whispered to you almost because it's like, I you know I know you like movies. I like movies too. You should watch Drive. It's mm-hmm. one of those. Even though it's like one of those things where like it's an iconic movie, but it's still it's almost talked about as a secret. At least it was back then. Right now, I think it's people are just like, oh yeah, Drive. Mm-hmm. But but then it was just like, have you heard of? It's it's so funny sometimes how like again a movie that had that was quite popular in a lot of circles is still kind of like have you seen this hidden gem drive (laughs) like it's it's really it's just funny how that works out um so yeah i watched it loved it uh it has been again since 2015 since i last saw it and watching it this for this uh what i think i watched it a few days ago uh rewatching it for uh this podcast I just kind of realized as it was going on like I remember maybe two of the scenes like I was it was oh, like almost watch it was just watching it, it for like, the, it first, felt like time, the first, first time yeah yeah it was like I mean it's one of those things where I'm like okay I like remember kind of like the rhythms of it but like actual scenes and description of scenes I had like Oscar Isaac's death was completely different in my mind mm-hmm. like I remember I for some reason Standard. remembered him slow yeah. yeah, I remembered him slowly bleeding out and him like saying a few things to um uh to the uh to Reynolds uh not Reynolds, Jesus Christ, Gosling. Oh my god. I'm sorry, <laughs> that will never happen again. Um if, like saying a few words to Gosling before he dies and it's like no, he just gets slain. Like he's just dead almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um it's like pretty cold, you know. Like, right, and I yeah. just forgot all of that stuff. I remembered Cranston dying in the garage mm. and I remembered certain imagery of him standing over like the flipped car but for some reason I remembered it being Brooks instead of Perlman who right. was in that car I always remembered uh, uh, Shannon's death it's like cutting the wrists and uh, yeah and Bernie is like it's all over it's all over like I would like that really stuck with me um, and also like just like on a surface level the character names were very interesting to me too, and I feel like that always kind of like Blanche linger. Yeah, Blanche. Yeah, right. Uh, Irene. Like it, it, they just kind of feel like very thought over and like particular standard. Like just stand. Yeah, exactly. Like Benicio. I just can't. Yeah, you know. It's just you have the driver, uh, and that's like that's a resource where you can sort of pile on these characteristics onto Gosling, and you just feels like a blank slate and starting to learn to love and have feelings. I also completely forgot that, that he doesn't have a name in this. I completely yeah. forgot that. Yeah. Another comparison with Lay Samurai, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... Yeah, I mean, it was... It truly was just, like, watching it for the first time. I mean, it was always a movie I loved, but I, I guess I didn't have, like, a deep connection to it. Um, and over the years, I would just forget. And, it, and I don't think it's because... And I don't think me not remembering parts is, like, a... It, it you know is uh, a negative for the film. It's not like saying it's not memorable. It was just one of those things that I think just went, just got past me. It just for some reason didn't fully stick and like congeal on you know into my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now of course like you know seeing it again, I'm just like very much taken away from the cinematography and lighting in general. I mean 
LA is just like you know the LA night you know LA nighttime scenes can just truly just be the most gorgeous things you see in movies um, you know collateral of course they yeah. they really capture one essence of LA I lived in LA for many years and there's one like color palette that is very right. uh, specific to LA that not all LA night films capture but this one gets it so well and it's that peachy color and the blues mostly because there's all these um the peachy color comes from all these like uh um what are they called self-storage for some reason like all the self-storage units have like peach lighting and it's all over the city and so you get this color and I remember I hadn't lived in LA when I first saw Drive but I moved to LA a couple years later like two years later I think and I remember driving around seeing this color palette and being like they like they 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 got it to that minute of a detail of of capturing really what it looks like I was very impressed yeah I understand you didn't see uh drive in LA but you saw only God forgives in LA (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can just measure where you are in life by the release of Nick Reffin projects um yeah what's your relationship with Nick Reffin before Um, this and after I think I actually have not seen Only God Forgives. I think I've only mm-hmm. seen Drive and Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. I'm, look, I'm, th- I'm looking real quick. But I did write an essay for his website once. So there's oh, that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he had a website? Yeah. He, um, he still has it. He restores like um, B movies and, and not oh, quite, yes, not quite porn. Is. Some of it's like right. on the edge of being porn. Um like classic smut movies, I guess is a better way of mm-hmm. calling it. It's called by Nicholas by W by N W R.com. Yeah. And so, um, I want to say it was two years ago. Uh, his restoration was uh, a couple of, of noir films. And, um, the guy who was doing the, um, he's the guest editor for the, the issue, um, to go with the noir films was looking for someone to write about a Zachary Scott film and the only person who had ever reviewed it apparently on the entire internet was me uh, because I'm like <laughs> the world's incredible. biggest Zachary Scott fan and I, I watched a really shitty like rip on like archive.org or something so that's that's why I, I was able to see it and so um, because of that he was like do you want to write a piece about it and I was like yes <laughs> so right that's, that, so interesting. that's my connection to Nicholas Winding Ruffin um <laughs> you were you were the only soul online. Literally like, the like, the only uh, review and but it, I really liked the movie and the restoration is beautiful. So it's yeah. um an early film shot on location in New York in terms of actually shooting on location instead of you know LA set for New York. So you yeah. you get a really nice peek at like 40s New York. Yeah, I feel like I sort of already sp- spoiled when I was when I was going over my relationship with Drive, but no, I just, I never caught up with uh, Too Old to Die Young, the TV show that also had an episode or two at Cannes. Um, other than that, I feel like this was sort of like an early look what movies can be director for me. Um, although I, it's interesting that I say that, but he's never been my guy either. Right. I feel like the imagery that he creates early on I, I recognize as like something that's very powerful especially in Neon Demon seeing that like uh, within the first few days that it hit Prime um, it was kind of it was just like I was really shook 
I was, but it wasn't anything like too violent or um, it wasn't anything too like uh, exploitative. It was just more, just like very captivating. Um, and this was probably the big, big biggest example. I think still in twenty twenty two, I think this like is the perfect amalgamation of like material and cast and uh, um, just story that like this can come together for Nick Griffin and uh, him going from uh, going to Hollywood is sort of like an interesting spot where I think this is like one of the first if not the first like big American production that he's done and um, and it's kind of like it's interesting that this is one of the first and yet he's commenting like on Hollywood as well. My relationship to Mr. Refn is very minuscule. It is this movie and Bronson. I don't think I've seen a single other project of his. Um, I don't know what is the barrier for me, if there is any. It's one of those, I think it's just, I don't think I'm just desperate to see more of his stuff, even though I love both of those movies. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Like Bronson, I think about quite a bit um drive is obviously fantastic but it's for some reason i i think it i think it's not necessarily the i don't want to say discourse but like just the critical perception of some of his other projects was always uh lessened by enthusiasm which is stupid um but kind of the case um i guess maybe you know i think it's probably the idea that i had more st or i i cared more about what quote-unquote Rotten Tomatoes and like the consensus is when I was watching Drive and Bronson. As in, those movies didn't springboard me into more refin because I cared more about the critical consensus then rather than I do now. So now it's like, one, for like Neon Demon, Only God Forgives, I don't know when I'm going to be watching those anytime soon because it's someone's going to bring it for the podcast. Um, so I feel kind of, I feel, it feels redundant. Um, people have already mentioned, the, uh, Jordan Cutrello, who hosted a podcast about Neon Demon with Roxanne Haddadi. Um, she wanted to do Neon Demon at one point. Um, those, those Still two movies are Still probably with Jordan Right. At one point. Those yeah. two movies are obviously going to get picked at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, his other stuff I haven't dug into, uh, what's like the Like, I know Mads Fear Michael? X is, like, considered, right. like, an underseen sort of... Like, What's uh, the Mickelson pretty... movies that he did? Uh, Criminal? No, it's a... Uh... Which one? A Mads Mickelson. Pusher, oh, Valhalla Rising. Oh, it, oh Pusher. Disney and the Pusher, Pusher. yeah. At some point, yeah. I'm going to watch the, watch those. because I. You said Mads Mickelson, and I went to the one I haven't seen. Because <laughs> he's um, in multiple, I, that's why. I, that's right, <laughs> I've... Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, I Like, that, and that also kind of just shows my inexperience of Riffin in general. Yeah. Um, when was was Neon Demon his last project? Oh no, it was the show, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the show, and I think it's also interesting that you bring up like you're un you're so unmotivated to check out others since Only God Forgives and Neon Demon were like more polarizing than this one. This one was just like pretty universally acclaimed. Like obviously, like we say, like uh, Refn winning director. Like that's that was like kind of a it, it felt right for this one. Right, and I. And I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things when if I get if I see his earlier stuff, his foreign language stuff, maybe I'm like Refn, my guy, all of it, <laughs> yeah. love it. I think you would direct. Um, I think you would. Uh, oh my god, I think you would dig Pusher because it is like very grimy. It's very dirty. It, it's, it has a different energy. Grime. Yeah, than uh, than this one. It's um, like it, it almost I'm, feels like a different director. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, this is the drive. Drive itself is very. There's this sheen of it, even with the blood. Like mm. the blood is kind of shiny in general. Yeah. Um, it feels relaxed to me. Yeah. It. I don't know. It's very much uh, the bright, not the bright lights of Hollywood. That's so fucking cheesy. Um, the, the you know, like the uh, glint of it all. Mm. The glint and yeah. the perceived uh, clean, or not clean, but perceived uh, purity of such a imaginative and creative place. Hollywood, Hollywood. But it, of course, has it's that it's that very much like. Um, just juxtaposition of yeah. like what the film's really about with the how pretty everything looks. I think, I think if this shares anything in common with a film that we covered, it's Maps of the Stars, because I think both are from non-Americans, obviously, um, and coming in with this this degree of like artificiality in Hollywood that that everyone here is fake and they kind of know it, but they're not saying it. Um, and uh, everybody has like ulterior motives, and really, uh, the movie industry is just moonlighting for something else, and they're going to cross right. paths eventually in some 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 industry. Um, and uh, no, I just yeah, I, th- I think you're right because there's so much like push and pull here, and there's so many contrasts uh, to to where it's like the violence feels rewarded because of like um, uh, like I mean the elevator scene that's like a perfect example of like the romantic gesture from the driver to Irene and then just like has to like uh, cut out loose ends for the people that Bernie is sending after him. Um, or, you know, it's just like, I think the, the diner scene when the, per, when the client recognizes driver is coming like a few scenes after the date with Irene and Benicio. And it's sort of like that idea of like, you know, there's a light and dark. There's, there's always someone that will be chasing after you. A film class I took a few years ago, uh, the professor wanted to show that specific scene in the diner. Um, I think it's because of the idea of body language and what a, and what a character communi- can communicate even with your back, even when you're just looking at his back and yeah. how, also how a character can communicate when the character talking to another person is the and that person's off screen how that can even be super um i can give all the information you need even though you're missing one side of the reaction and conversation um yeah that scene is real special stuff yeah and i love that in the production design like it doesn't feel like there's any daylight coming out through <laughs> it's just all from the like the jukebox or the exit sign it's just right. it's just it's all it's all so menacing um yeah, yeah, because it, it kind of, like, emphasizes in that idea, like, everybody kind of is starting to know Driver, like, even if Driver proves to the audience, like, he's very good at this, there's still people that still recognize him, um, and uh, this job that he's taking with, um, with Standard doesn't seem like all that, all that bad on the surface, but yet, like, takes, like, a bad job, even though there's, there's, there's a, a very clear path to the end for it, and it's just, like, you you kind of still carry this innate empathy with him, <laughs> even though he's just like just as bad as standard in some some regard. Yeah, I think Gosling is really good at finding the nuance in the character and the conf- conflicts that he has with who he is, what he's doing, 
Um, which I think is why he stays away from people. They don't really, they, they leave that up to you to interpret, but, you know, he doesn't really seem to have any contact with anyone other than Brian Cranston's character until he meets Irene. And I think that's kind of purposeful because he knows he has this, this villain in him and he doesn't want, but he's got enough empathy and humanity that he doesn't want that to leak out on other people. Mm-hmm. Until until it does, because love yeah. always finds a way. Love conquers all. Right. One it, of my is... one of my favorite interviews that Gosling did on this movie. Um, he talks about how he sees it as a um, like an eighties John Hughes, but with blood. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Yeah, it is funny Absolutely. that he references Hughes because, like, uh, Refn also referenced Hughes in the way that they wanted to. Um, breathe a lot of life into the soundtrack. And the soundtrack, like the jacket and the look of the driver, I think also carries on a life of its own. Uh, like, I think it got, like, a vinyl restoration of, oh, I, on the oh, fifth I, anniversary. I own it. I'm, I'm sure I own that vinyl. It yes. has, like, multiple <laughs> copies. Um, yes. But it's, yeah, no, I, I and it, that, I mean, it's kind of a cliche. It's more of a cliche at this point to, than to say Love Conquers All, but really the soundtrack is another character. I mean, they could have gotten, like, another billing on the poster that it's, um, you know, a real hero or a human being. It's just sort of, like, these theme songs where it's just, like, it does complement the, the scene, like, just perfectly, like, just as much as the great Cliff Martinez score does. One of my favorite composers. What's crazy is the song A Real Hero was written about Scully, the... The, the guy, Tom Hanks, played him in the movie where he lands the plane. Oh, wow. Yeah. What? You can look it up. It's written, the real hero is Scully. Yes. As wild. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I didn't know that. I, I, know, I didn't know. That's crazy. I didn't know that until, um, I think it was a 10-year look at the soundtrack. or I can't remember what, how I ended up on it. I've, I always look up things about this movie. And I was like looking at the soundtrack. And then I looked up that this song had a life before the movie. And I was like, oh. And then that's... Who, that's why the songwriter wrote it. And I was like, damn. <laughs> that's I can amazing. now walk up to people I know. and say, if Sully Songberger... Oh, Sully. Plan, I don't know why I said Scully. I love the X-Files. That's probably For a minute, I thought I was Sully. talking about no, the X-Files I meant character. Sully. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, Sully. Um, when, you know, when Sully... <laughs> that if Sully Songberger didn't save, what, 200 souls on yeah. that plane by landing on the Hudson that the movie Drive would be slightly different. We wouldn't have the most iconic breath-holding of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Like, wow. That's the butterfly effect. (laughs) Now I wonder if there's any song in the Clint Eastwood movie that was inspired by the film Drive. That would be fantastic. That would be incredible. If Clint was, like, you know, looking out and seeing, like, what, what if there was like a flash forward at the end of Sully of Sully watching Drive and being like, "Holy shit, <laughs> that was a song that was written for me." <laughs> and that's so funny. Yeah. What brings you back to this film the most? Is oh. it the vibe? Is it the like what? What makes you want to see it so many times? That's I always a, want to ask that when people say great, like, "I've seen X amount of times." That's a great question. I it's hard I'm trying to think why I love it so much. Um. I mean, part of it is, I think the vibe is, is a great way to describe it. Like, there's right. just holistically, like, the soundtrack with the performances, with the cinematography, with with the 
the stylized violence. I'm not always the biggest fan of violence, but I think the violence here is so specifically absurd that it, it like, transcends beyond just, um, um, what's the word I'm thinking for? Uh, gratuitous. It transcends. Um, because gratuitous would be, you know, stabbing somebody with a fork and, like, blood going everywhere. Art is stabbing somebody in the eye and then watching the body, like, you know, jiggle. Like, that's that's the difference, I think, in my my sick brain, I guess. I like that um, idea. <laughs> but um, I also, I do love movies about how awful Hollywood is. Having worked in the studio system for 10 years, I can say that I would not be surprised that a, a producer would stab somebody in the eye with a fork. Like, they, there's a lot of venom in this industry, and mm-hmm. I think the film uses uses that theme really well to show like is is it any worse than the robbing a bank like the uh, where where's right. the line of <clears throat> of villainy and um maps of the stars also shows just how weird and awful hollywood is too in a really great way it'd be an mm-hmm. interesting double feature um but i really it's it is like the candy coated violence i really dig i guess um, I also love Carrie Mulligan. We haven't mentioned Carrie Mulligan yet. Oh, yeah. She's she's I'm a Carrie Mulligan completist. I think I'm missing one movie she made like wow. at the beginning of her career, but I've seen everything she's done. Um, I will see her in anything. Yeah. Um she can read the fun book. She know. pretty much, yeah. And and she has just such a strong just just a strong presence. Even in a character like Irene that doesn't get a lot of strong action like you feel because of Carrie Mulligan like she gives more to that character than I think is on the page oh, um yeah and I mean in the book the, that character barely exists they really yeah. flesh that out a lot for the for the movie um but the that chemistry is just like I can't I will watch them just staring at each other it could be two hours of just that and I would watch it there's so much yearning yeah Seriously. yeah um and uh you know we've discussed shame fascinating that this and shame same year you know so yeah. fascinating to to think like she's coming off of the oscar nomination and she wants to choose really interesting scripts and place characters that i think like shame you know there may not be as much available to someone on the surface that she she's certainly elevating the, the part um and i love just the divide that there is like with uh, Driver Standard and Irene, and then going to like Shannon, Bernie, and uh, and Ron Perlman, you know. So it's like there really are these these again with the contrast, like these two worlds that that the driver is like in the middle of. Um, and yeah, and and thinking about the book where it's where it's the driver has I think a wife and kids, <laughs> so it kind of makes sense that he's like sort of where she's more sideline. Because he has like also a life that he's moonlighting with. I had no idea this was based off a book until mm. this watch. The book is really thin too. It's not. It's yeah. more of a novella. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I wrote. I read it on a bus ride um, on oh, the way cool. to class after the movie came out. But um, it's it's definitely one of those like inspired by the book as opposed to like faithful adaptation of the book mm-hmm. kind of projects. Um, but they're both they're both really great i mean one of the other things i love about this movie um is the sound design 
which I, I remember it got the this the sole Oscar nomination was the sound editing. One and of the rare. I was yeah. I was gonna riot if it didn't get the sound editing because I'm I always get really invested in the sound category more than almost mm-hmm. any other of the Oscar nominations because more often than not the movies with the most sound get the nomination instead it's of like the editing in that way yeah. yeah instead of the movies with the most interesting sound mm-hmm. and so i get really angry because like for example a couple of years ago uh phantom thread did not get a sound nomination and the mm-hmm. sound is a is a, is a, is the fourth character in that yeah. movie it's tactile um it's wild that, that they 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 built character dynamics using sound in that movie and um i would rather see a movie get a nomination for its sound uh, being used creatively to either thrust the character, thrust a character, or thrust a plot, rather than oh, they made a bunch of spaceship sounds, like cool. Um, what did you What did you do creatively though? Did you Did you nothing? Okay. Whereas Whereas this This was creative in its in its world building with sound, and um, I was just very excited when it got the nomination. It didn't win, but um, at least it got the nomination because it. What do you think? Really do you remember is, who won? I think I feel like 2011. Let's go see. It's gotta have been a Hobbit movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, was it Hugo? It was Hugo. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Hugo, Hugo did have good sound. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it wasn't Transformers. But I still right. think, yeah, I still think, uh, yeah, I still think it should have been, should have been Drive. What do you think um, about combining the sad, the sound categories later on? It's in the decade. It's so weird. At least both people still, or both teams still kind of get awarded, but I think there's, mm. like, a limit. So, you know, it used to be yeah. up to six people or something, and so everyone get, but I, I don't know if you have six people on editing and six people on mixing to 12 people get Oscars. I don't think so, which feels shitty. But, you know, they're always, like... How much like, do Oscars cost? It's one of those... I've, it's a question I've always wondered. It's like, how much does it cost to make one? Like, is it, like, a valuable resource, or is it just kind of like, ah, I mean, it costs, like, you know, like, a hundred bucks. That's a good question. I'm sure somebody has, has written that, oh, written an article about the economics yeah. of Oscar statuettes, but... It's only a matter of time um, until a THR piece reveals how much an Oscar costs. <laughs> yeah, and there's only a few categories where you need a couple, right? It's sound mm. is, like, a team, and... and um, what uh visual effects usually has mm-hmm. two or three people but that's interesting yeah four hundred dollars per <laughs> statue wow yeah it seems Jeez. like it all right well i see why you wouldn't want to make 12 for the sound category but i mean still they they did the work i right. you know i don't know and they it's not like they printed out with the name on it like you get it you can get a bunch of Oscars, make them all, and use them for several years, right? Because okay, so twenty-four Oscars are presented every year. A total batch of fifty are produced before the event in case that more are needed. If there is a tie, or if there are multiple winners in any of the categories. Yeah, then that hmm. seems like they can give twelve to the sound. That's hmm. weird. Then the next really? year is when there was a tie in the sound category. That was wild. Mm-hmm. I remember like. What? Uh, it's one of those categories that you can sort of see something shine that wouldn't normally in in like a craft category. And I think you bring up Phantom Thread and you would assume that would that criteria would meet it. Um, because I think people would look at it and see like, oh, there is actual craft here and it is telling a story even though like PTA always values sound in all those movies. Um, that one especially. 
and I think it was in our Dragon Tattoo episode that we also commented on this, that's like Fincher's manipulation of the sound in that one particularly got it the nomination, uh, even though I think it also lost it. Because this was also when it was split into uh, sound editing and design, and I think it was either in one of those two. Same year. Uh, I, I just wanted to point out this insane fun fact that I had no idea. So apparently you... Cal, uh, like you are banned from trying to sell an Oscar. It, apparently, a California judge in 2015 said, uh, "We're never. They were never intended to be traded as an article of trade. So, the only way you can quote unquote sell an Oscar is if you first os- offer the Academy to buy it for one dollar." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that nuts? You literally wow! It's like so they cost four hundred dollars, but you can sell it for one dollar. I wonder if anyone's been like, "Fine, I need the dollar." <laughs> like, <laughs> I really need that dollar. So, I feel like um, Spielberg or somebody sold their Oscar back for a dollar. Like, cause they were really? trying to yeah, cause they were trying to donate it or I can't remember what it was. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was Spielberg or not, but it was somebody did. But it was like to prove a point, not hmm. not to be petty. I mean, that that would be a great way of protesting. Like, it is funny that, I don't know, it's one of those things where, now that I'm thinking about it, if, like, what, if, you know, these white celebrities who are, like, you know, Oscar's so white, the, you know, the Academy is a sham, blah, 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 or, like, you know, it, it has deep and problematic issues, uh, you know, and systemic issues, and, like, they still accept the goddamn thing. And I'm not saying they should, I don't personally care that much, but it was one of those things where it's, like, well, if you want to put your money where your mouth is, sell that Oscar. One dollar. Yeah. One dollar. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Huh. I would buy that for a dollar. <laughs> oh, I guess the story I was remembering was that Spielberg bought Betty Davis's Oscar at auction and then gave it to the Academy. There's no um, dollar involved there, so I don't. I don't know. That was just filed under trivia of Oscar purchasing in my head. I guess. Well, now I want. Now I, I wish Spielberg was like, "All right, I'll give this to you, but I want that dollar. You don't, you know, don't fuck me out of this dollar. I need that dollar." Yeah, the rules clearly state. He seems like someone who like one dollar follows rules. <laughs> um, and I just wish I just like someone like one of the Academy Stooges like brings out a dollar, like kind of like does the little like you know, fucking like here's your one dollar, sir. This is you know the mm. most crisp dollar we can give you. It's been ironed out. Um, right. But speaking of award season, I think it's interesting to look at Albert Brooks. Uh, playing very against type, uh, obviously. And uh, that would be actually funny if he didn't. What makes, <laughs> yeah, what makes you say that? Yeah. The, the yeah. fork? <laughs> right. right, yeah. He's just like playing the character from like Lost in America or something, you know. Like, I wonder if he was excited to do like, I get to stab people? This is this rules. Well, I think he, no, because I think there were some interviews where he was like, I've always wanted to play a villain, like play a like a bad guy with like murky mor- morals. Um, but this violent, I, I just like, I get to slit Robert or Brian Cranston's like wrist. Yeah. This is, this rules, dude. I love this. Um, I was fi- yeah, finally looking for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the whole look is just outrageous. Uh, like the suits and uh, and shaving the eyebrows, like that's that part's always really stuck with me. Um, His eyes look so yeah. small. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got to be the eyebrows that make him look like very minuscule. Um, there and, was and this. Um... Oh, sorry. Go on. No, yeah, I was I was thinking like uh, the fact that he chooses 
uh, to be a film producer and use it just for money and greed and like capital. It's just like that is that is sort of the heart of this as well that people don't uh, aren't involved in this industry for the craft, but rather for just for gaining uh, just for money, just just for just for, to buy another Mercedes. And uh, he's he's someone who's just like finds uh, the driver as like an inconvenience, and that's always super interesting to me. Um, that it's just like another shore to him, I think. Uh, and yeah, no, and he was uh, super close to like an Oscar nomination, and you know. So at the at the time, this is this is I think you guys were like ten when this happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Patton Oswalt was also uh, like they thought he was gonna get nominated. Patton Oswalt, Albert Brooks. Neither of whom obviously mm. were nominated. Patton Oswalt for Young for, Adult. Um, young Adult, yeah, yes. Right, yeah. So Patton tweeted, I have screenshots. I have screenshots of everything. Um, I'm one of those people. Um, he tweeted at Albert Brooks, see you later tonight, might be out of booze. Um, and then Circus has Pogues on the jukebox and Fassbender just showed up in a pirate hat. And then Patton Oswalt said, yeah, we're definitely running out of booze. Charlie, Charlie's and Tilda just pulled up in a stolen police car. <laughs> That's so and then there's more. And then they, she, um, Patton Oswalt brings up Elizabeth Olsen and Kirsten Dunst. That was for Mary, Mar- Marcy, May Marlene, and yeah. um, Melancholia. And then um, and then Patton Oswalt goes, uh, Nolte and Plummer just drove past mooning us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's something about Von Trier, and then it kind of ends. But it was one of those, Is this like, a thread? Yeah, they were yeah, tweeting right. at okay. each other, and or yeah. it was mostly Patton Oswalt tweeting at Albert Brooks. I can't remember if Albert Brooks that ever, makes sense. Yeah, ever yeah, that replied. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was pretty funny because it was all the people who were suspected would might get nominated, and none of whom got nominated. And yeah, and uh, Tilda for we can uh, we need to talk about we, Kevin. Yeah, we need to talk about Kevin. In my yeah. head, all and like Michael Michael Fassbender for shame, shame. and yeah. Not wow, mentioned. What an interesting crop that it's like yeah. circling around awards. Yeah, no, that's not. Men- I can't Jeez. imagine Michael Fassbender and Patton Oswalt interacting with each other. Yeah, <laughs> um, not mentioned was Michael Shannon though, who also was a, yeah. uh, also ran that yeah. year. Two thousand eleven was the year I kind of like fell out of love with the Oscars because um, yeah. I'd always really loved them growing up, and uh, but I hadn't really. You know, I mostly use them as a gauge of what to watch after. Mm. And 2011 was the year I was in film school and living in San Francisco and actually had some some money for the first time in my life. Because, like, I went to undergrad in Berkeley and they had they got all the movies. Um, but I didn't really have the money. I'm like, you know, I'm an undergrad. Um, and, but I worked in a movie theater and I was able to, like, see a bunch more starting in 2011. So I had actually seen, like, a large swath of the like contenders that year and it was maybe the first year I saw how the the really wonderful films and the films that push the medium are often not the ones that get nominated right. like I finally that was the first year I really got it and was like right. damn and then ever since then you know even ever since then I've seen more and more films right like already this year I think I've seen like 200 2022 releases i've been to a lot of festivals this year right um it's mostly festivals and And i'm sure there was carryover from last year that it's like yeah there's there's a few carryovers yeah and but it's like the more the more you watch the more you see you know the oscars are are a barometer of a certain thing but they are not 
a barometer of the actual quality of any given year. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes it's more interesting to look at what didn't get nominated and try to figure out like why. Mm, um, certainly. You know, well, what didn't work in their in their campaign? What was the voting body like then? What was the, the political atmosphere then? And mm-hmm. 2011 it, just had so... It was in the middle of the recession. It was in the middle of Occupy, and there were all these really interesting films. And if you look at what did get nominated, it's like, oh. Yep. Yep. Like, I love Hugo, but, like, Hugo... Tree of Life, a, Moneyball, it's, you know, there's it's st- such good a, stuff there, but... Um. <sighs> You know, it's, yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree that, like, whenever we do go back to a 2011 movie and someone brings something to us, it's just like, this award season, like, wow, you know, it's just, it's, the, it, it um, sucks, it sucks That too. 9-11 movie that's really bad, Extremely Loud incredibly and Incredibly Close. close. Yeah. Oh, darn it. Yeah, that's Extremely a, Loud and Incredibly Close. That's a terrible movie. Because, like, and also movie. the thing about that nomination that gets to Best Picture, that was, like, the surprise one. Everyone's just like, maybe? And then when it actually does get and everyone's like... Losing their marbles, yeah. Never forget. Never forget. <laughs> I think that... Christopher Plummer is going to tell you to never forget. It was just one of those... I think it's, it's oh, one no, of those movies where... Oh, that was Max von Sydow. That was Max von Sydow. Oh, good catch. Plum- yes. Plummer's yes. in Beginners, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But, I, it's one of, thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Incred- or Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close is one of those movies where, like, I think the Academy was like, oh, we got to nominate this, right? I haven't seen the damn thing, but, you know, 9-11. Come on. We have to show <laughs> yeah, support. Yeah, it had like what Hanks and Hanks, Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts, and, yeah. Yeah. That trailer was okay. Let's just give it, you know, a nomination. <laughs> that's what no it. Fe- that's what that it feels like. Yeah, yeah, that's what it feels right. like. That's rough. But uh, Mariah, like you said, the idea of like the more you watch, the more you're like, oh yeah, this kind of sucks. This is like kind of bad. Yeah. This is not a good barometer. That's when, and then the moment you accept that, that's the moment where you have this inca- like this entirely new appreciation for the Oscars, and when it, maybe not appreciation, but view as the idea of, like you said, it is more about theorizing and discussing, and like what you know, like you said, the politics and the more of the, uh, you know, everyone has their own methodology, uh, which I've always found funny of like why they think X will get nominated and why Y won't get nominated. Yeah, like. It's not an exact science, and so it's almost like sports betting at some point. That's when yeah. I have fun. That, that's where I have the fun is when I like the nomin. I don't. The winners usually is not the fun part. It's the nominations. Yeah. Of like who's going to get nominated and why? Because it's like I, I think for when you do have nominations locked in, and then like it kind of feels like a little bit more clear for like what winners will start to pop up rather than like what nominations will. Be locked in yeah and and, and to to your point about it being a bit about the prognosticating that's that's how i like fell out of it when i realized that that's that's really the game and the way it's the coverage has changed to to almost like covering a sporting event that's when i was like i can't i can't oh, do yeah. this anymore and it's no no diss on people who love award season and who are like full-time awards bloggers like because that's how i started blogging was as an awards blogger and I I stopped doing it because I was like I I don't actually like the game. People love it and 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 great, but it's it I don't like it. I like to just I just want to love the movies. I want to watch the movies. Right. And it does carry like a different feeling for when something truly is great and we know will live on is actually like a pretty big participant in award season. Like I mentioned, like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. You know, it's love for sound. It's love for actress. Um, like that's something where it's like oh my gosh, like, I'm not invested in, like, uh, like the, the Midnight in Paris of it, of it all, but then, like, there are things 
that I am like pretty satisfied did get in. It's just like that's how we. I mean, for me at least, that's how they hooked me back in. But those, but those movies are never the ones that actually win. That's exactly. No, exactly. Oh, it's just so it's just the nominations where it's just like, right? You know, yeah. It's like it's like even though Mad Max Fury Road won a bunch of shit, it was still one of those disappointing things where it's like, in your two, really, <laughs> him, yeah, 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 that guy. <laughs> For that fucking movie, oh, you couldn't I, give it to the Aussie. I know. I know. You couldn't give it to the Aussie who struggled so many for, years in that fucking for desert. one more too. It's like it's like and you're actually just one too, or it's like for Burbank, you know, it's like crazy. Um, and no, it's yeah, like, it's and like, also Spotlight and Spotlight is good, but it's one of those things where like, just give it to Mad. No, it's even weirder because it's like Revenant. I remember being like that 2015, like you know, just like for a weird tangent, real fast, like. That was my, one of my. I think that was my first Oscars, and it was so weird to me. Like DiCaprio wins, and Yuritsu wins, and then it's like Revenant misses picture. Like it's, it's like, and then like Spotlight beats out Revenant. It's just like, oh well, it's like even weirder to me. But it's like the real. It's the it, methodology that's interesting yeah, now. Yeah, it's not the actual awards or what it means. It's the methodology despite it being of my how first you Oscar, pick. Yeah, what? it's like despite it being my first Oscars, I still recognize that it's like, what's the weird combo that. Spotlight misses director, wins screenplay and picture. Like that, what? Was it your first Oscars in that it was the first one you you watched like a lot of the films or? What do yeah, you mean a by lot that? of live. Yeah, I, I watched it live and a lot of the films. Right, mm-hmm. like, it's all that, and it's like you know you pay attention, you like figure out what the narratives exactly. are. Yeah. Not not to seem completely ancient, my first Oscars <laughs> was the year that um, I did not see all the films, but several of them because I was a child was the year that Beauty and the Beast was up against Silence of the Lambs. I did not see Silence of the Lambs because my mom at least had a little bit of, uh, you know, logic in terms of maybe not show that one to Mariah. But I thought Beauty and the Beast was going to win, obviously. And then she's like, no, it's going to be Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I think it's 91 or 92. And um, that's that was my, that was my first, yeah. that was my first Oscars heartbreak because I wanted <laughs> Beauty and the Beast to win so bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, Beauty and the Beast was like the first animated ever nominated. Just, yeah, before yeah. they had a, a animated category even. Right, it was, yeah. yeah. It's still good. You watch it now, and you're like, this is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite out there nomination from the 90s, though, is Babe. Have you seen Babe? Yeah, right. Yeah. Babe, Babe Rules. Babe, Babe was nominated Babe for really seven good. Oscars. Yeah, it's seven fascinating. Seven Oscars. They love that imagine, little pig. Yeah. Can you imagine Babe, a movie like Babe getting seven Oscars now? <laughs> No, <laughs> and it, it deserves. Yeah, no, it went. It was it was in a big city for a while too, and like the sequel is even crazier. Because I mean, bringing back <laughs> that to movie's Miller, wild. Yeah, that um, movie's wild. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean the '96 Oscars is very strange to me because like Braveheart wins, like whatever, and like there's like there's pretty anonymous Freedom. nominations that year, um, and it's like Babe, like. This is, like, right next to Braveheart. It's just, it's fascinating to me. And, uh, Wait, well, are you saying those are different movies? <laughs> I mean, they're kind of, like, about the yeah. same. Thing. When you think about it, yeah. <laughs> Mel took inspiration from Babe. And, yeah. I mean, they're both Australian adjacent. Yeah. yeah. Sense and uh, Sensibility is probably the best that's it. nominated that year, though. That's a lovely film. Yeah. It's another one that's really fun to revisit mm-hmm. at different ages. Yeah, it it's one of those like the Oscar like you just look back at certain nominations like you know of course um, Sigourney Weaver for Aliens and you're just like what what let's just, let's just do that again that was cool 
that's like, I, that's, like the, that. that's like the exception that proves the rule, though. That's like when I think yeah. a few people were thinking uh, Charlize would get in for Fury Road, where it's just like, I don't but know when, But if... when's the last time the exception proved the rule? Right. Or, like, recently. I mean, I guess Parasite. But even then, it's like it won picture, but... And it swept pretty well, but like none of the know, cast was nominated. Like that's not even yeah. yeah. And it just like if Song Kang Ho won, it's like all right, all right. But oh. right, exactly. It's, you know, it's fucking three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, or whatever the fuck. Like, and you know, and, and not saying all of those movies who win all every movie that wins an Oscar is lame or whatever, but it's. Drive doesn't win these things. Drive and doesn't drive win is like, anything. Right, and it's like, well, fucking... Obviously, that movie, whatever you think of it, should win something. Mm. Like, a award. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did with... I mean, not necessarily... Uh, I mean, not saying... It, it won awards in other award uh, award circuits, but mm-hmm. I'm just like, this one, we're like... The Oscars, it's like, if you really pay attention to movies, you would be like, oh, yeah, this has to win X or whatever. Uh, but it's like, no, they just, like, no, never mind. No, we're good. Then that's, I think that's always when, you, once you finally kind of realize that, like you said, Mariah, it's like, uh, it, it's it a really, game. It's it a really game. Freeze, frees you to, to appreciate films on their own. Yeah. True. Very true. And yeah. looking, and I, just, and I wanted to remind myself real fast of, like, what Albert Brooks, for me, would have made the most sense for Drive to put one of their, for, uh, uh, who had the movie? Do we remember? Um, it was. Uh, oh, they campaigned pretty hard for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, I, he I he figured. was nominated for like dozens and won a few like critic awards, and he was indie spirit, and I think mm-hmm. Raftas and some others. And it was it really. I feel like that was one of the big. And he was like a beloved industry. He'd been working in Hollywood for forty years. It really felt like a shoe in. Exactly, and that's like yeah. kind of where I come back to as well. That so someone who who would politic for an actual good role, not something that's just like, oh well, you just clearly want, so you just want like a you want an Oscar, right? It's not something that, and he's genuinely great in it. Um, but like looking at Jonah Hill and Moneyball, uh, Kenneth Branagh, my league with Marilyn, Nick Nolte and Warrior, Max von Strydow and Extremely Loud, and then like, like we mentioned before. Chris Palmer. That Nick Nolte nomination is pretty of cool. Of course, yeah. I like yeah. that. It's and then like, Chris Palmer Because it's one of those movies stuff. where you're like, it's not an Oscar player, but he deserves that fucking nom. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's been some great cool distance nomination. before. Or right. some great distance from his last two uh, nominations. But It's like Sly with Creed getting like, yeah. that's like a cool right. nomination. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, there was, was it last year or a year before where a, one of like those sturdy, like who had been in the industry for 40 years, actors didn't get nominated and everyone was like, what the fuck? Why? trying to think um i guess it happens more maybe yeah than I'm giving credit. yeah i would say yeah. though that the the rocky nomination he was nominated for best actor for rocky back in the day mm-hmm. and it's a i feel it's a little more like True. like paul newman in that he was nominated twice for the same character because he was able to tap back into this character he'd created decades earlier and True. and i do as a huge rocky fan i do think if you watch all the movies even though they get kind of cheesy he keeps building that character all those years. I was kind of bummed when he lost because to be mm. able to, to really feel like that same character in every single one of those movies, that takes a lot of of 
yourself to tap into and he created the character so the character is him kind of yeah yeah i don't know right and even though there are many bridge of spy heads uh the i I was just gonna say you know but it that's that was sly yeah that was right it's undeniable i mean we can it's one of those things where we can appreciate a great performance uh which i believe Rylance gives a great performance in Bridge Spice, but it's like one of those things like I can appreciate that, but also realize and fully believe that Sly should have gotten that one. Um, it's just, it was his. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Well, um, we always have Rocky. <laughs> right, right, of course. One of my all time favorite films. Um, but it is real. Like, is Brooks ever going to? Is there a chance Probably not. Nominated? This was like his yeah, one right. shot. Like, yeah, this was, exactly. Exactly. This yeah. is the last this was it. last dance. This was it. And he's so, so he's so good at it too. Yeah. He's just so right. creepy. Yeah. So creepy. It's a, but he's also like reason. I I love. I, I don't know if Refn was like Perlman or if it was a casting director, but it's like, that's like such a beautiful and brilliant pairing it works so per- they work so perfectly w- with each other um it, it, it's the perfect dichotomy you need while also just like you know Perlman is an intimidating dude but you just realize the moment he takes that fork into that dude's eyes like oh he's the scary one mm-hmm. he's the person you need to be afraid of the person that even Perlman won't look at as he's mutilating this dude. Like, Perlman, like, shuns, puts his back to when he is, like, fucking killing that person. Mm-hmm. I know Perlman was the la- one of the last person to to be cast, which is interesting. I think it was, like, it was something like Gosling was the first, and then, like, Cranston signed on shortly after. Like, it was it was sort of, like, a natural progression of, like, the people that you would think, and then, like... Um, yeah, Brooks like accepted the role. The fact that it played against type. Um, but what do you think of Perlman in this? Just like he's kind of like a fraud as well, a Jewish person sort of like in t- like uh, impersonating an Italian gangster. Like he's kind of like putting on a front to me. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting um, like socio issues going on between Perlman's character and Brooks's character and that I don't know that I am well-versed enough in to comment on. Um, though I will say that having lived out in the Valley, I feel like there should have been more uh, Russian gangsters because that's, right. that's who lives in the Valley. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Russian and Armenian ga- gangsters. Yeah. Um, and Perlman has played Russians before. He has. He must have. Mm. Yeah, I feel like he I mean, has. he's played everyone before. He is... A truly working actor. Like he, I think he played like an Israeli action hero not so long ago. Like he's just, he's very much uh, have you, a working. Actor. Have you ever seen his TV show where he played the the Beast from Beauty and the Beast? Not the Disney Beauty and the Beast. It's like no, it's I like heard that he's ago. he's the Is that Beast. The CW? No, they redid it. The CW oh. remade it. This was like the eighties. He was the Beast, and uh, what is her name from the Terminator? Um. Linda Hamilton? Yeah, Linda Hamilton is, like, the cop, and it's a whole thing. Oh, interesting. It's a great cheesy show. I mean, he's brilliant. CW1 one is, like, favorites. a remake of it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. He's one of my favorite. Like, it's funny, Jack, you said, like, you know, Perlman was one of the last to be cast. I'm like, 
when I if I ever make a movie, which I won't, but if I ever did, and like I'm Perlman's first build, oh not maybe not first build, but like I'm casting him first. I don't care what role I find for him. It could be a five second cameo. Mm. He's the first person cast yeah. because you can use. He's just he's yeah, so he's just one of the more reliable. Yeah. He's the reliable actor. You just like fucking, you plug and play, baby. You know he's that all. Re- he's that you know he's. <laughs> I'm to bring it to basketball. Funny enough. He's that 3 and D player, someone who can make a three-pointer and play some perimeter defense. You need that on any squad. You can, you, you know, that's always a reliable tool to have in your arsenal. He is just consistent. He's the Trevor Ariza of actors. <laughs> For all my basketball heads, know. you know what I mean. Old Trevor Ariza, not current. He's kind of washed now. Someone's listening to this and they're like, yeah, Perlman is. Like, right. They're agreeing with you a thousand percent. Shout out Washington Wizards legend Trevor Reza. We traded for you twice, buddy. You're welcome. Um, but I think this yeah, is I definitely mean, I, yeah, one of those I, I, I defining Pearlman. roles for Perlman in the 2010s, though. But I totally forgot he was in it. Yeah. That's the thing. I completely... Because one, he... I mean, he is very famous for that white hair, and it's completely dyed in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, second, he's wearing sunglasses for a lot of it. Well, I guess he does that a lot in general, but... Um, I don't know. I just was completely... Yeah, he's very much one of those, like, oh, you're trying too hard. Like you said, Jack, he is the facade. Brooks is the real deal. Brooks mm-hmm. is the monster. Uh, Perlman is, like, the face. He is trying to act, you know, like a gangster. Yeah. He's talking. Like, just, like, his use of slang is very, like, you know, like a white person appropriating, you know, um, slang from, like, people of color. And just the way he talks, it's almost, like, to a point... Like, you know, he throws in some racial slurs, and it's like, come on, dude. Like, come on. Like, this is, it's all an act. Yeah. And if you're going to have someone be this showy kind of fucking dick, you want Perlman for that. Yeah. He's the, he's the best at it. Speaking of casting, do you guys know, I, I think, if I were to guess, I think Mariah would know this, but quite, do you know who was originally cast? Or was, like, in some stage of production that was, like, thought of, at least? For? For Drive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, no, but for which one? Oh, for the driver. <laughs> that should have, yeah. Uh, Cooper. Bradley um, Cooper. Bradley Cooper. That would make sense, but it was Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Interesting. Right? I don't see it. <laughs> Hard yeah, no. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think he has the, the internal, um, no. like, he's not an internal yeah. actor at no, all. No, 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 no. He doesn't have that dark passenger. Yeah. To, to steal a Dexter reference. The steeliness um, that like, Gosling yeah. brings is, like, right. very particular. And I, I, I just... No, he was, like, born for for this role. And, I, and him and Refn, I think, tap into something that I think Gosling really appreciates in a filmmaker. And, of course, like, they went on to make Only God Forgives. And the people that Gosling will go on to collaborate a multiple amount of times in the 2010s, like him and Chazelle, like, or just, like, they bring out, like, a particular sides of him that I think he really enjoys bringing out. And also Neil Jordan, uh, right, from, uh, uh, um, uh, or Neil Marshall, sorry, from uh, I was the, gonna, from, the yeah, sin, okay, from The Descent, different filmmaker, The Descent's Neil Marshall, where it's, like, also attached to direct, originally. Like, that's so interesting. Speaking of Perlman, he made the 2019 reboot of Hellboy. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just, like, The Descent guy. That's, like, so weird, but, you know. I'm just thinking about Jackman now. Like, Jackman is a... Maybe brilliant is a, uh, a stretch, but he's a great melodramatic actor. 
like he delves into the melodrama the shakespearean you know like uh tragedy of it all but he's not like you know he's not one of that person who can just have that other character he's playing right and you know like with Gosling, he's playing two characters at the same time, uh, the monster and the, the uh, concerned neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, the person who will fucking curb stomp a dude and, like, smash his face in with his foot until, like, it's like a smashed watermelon. Yeah, the, des- the, and the, elevator, the, guy, design, the elevator scene sound design is, like, so Right, visceral. and the guy who carries the kid to his bed mm-hmm. at, when he fell asleep. He can't play, like, that's not, like, Jackman can't do both you know what i mean like he plays one or the other he uh and i'm not and again that's not like to say he he's bad but it's like he has his own realm he operates in and it's just mm-hmm. not that i like that they also da or like they went with the age gosling was at for the driver um that makes so much yeah. more sense to yeah. me uh because like he has this innocence to him he kind of he looks i mean of course gosling was pretty young uh i just i think he has this like sort of innocence that it would be hard for Hugh Jackman or anybody else to sell, um, since since there's this in- innocence that's that emulates. You almost feel like he's trying to re- he relates to Benicio more than he Irene acts like at a child. Times. Yeah, right. He yeah. acts like a yeah. child. Yeah. Um, this line delivery of when he's like covering Christina Hendricks' uh, mouth after he slapped her. The line delivery of him pointing to her and saying, because of you, a little boy lost his father, yeah. is like an entire backstory in one line delivery to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you get that with Jackman, because one, like you said, the age, the older, it's one of those things where like if Jackman did that at his age, you'd be like, oh, I guess we, ha- I have to think about his childhood now. But with Gosling, you almost inherently think about his childhood, mm-hmm. because like, again, he's so young. And, you know, like Cranston always refers to him as the kid. Um, he he has almost the social skills of a child. Uh, right. He's you know very you know silent and then is very you know he, like he's a big smiler. He loves smiling. Um, like as that to be like the communi- like communicating more with words. It's like he just smiles a lot and doesn't really have a great vocabulary or a way of speaking to start a conversation. He's not a conversationalist. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like it's I th- yeah I mean Gosling is truly incredible in it and it's one of those things like has he been better since and that's not like a detriment that's more of just like how good he is in this Mm, certainly yeah it does feel like a a career making role and i think kind of he kind of knew it at the time just because like everybody at the time with the interviews that i looked at um would ask about the jacket (laughs) and they would look at and and, uh you know his comment about wanting to be in a thriller an action movie, but he, he had this funny line where he's like, all the superheroes were taken, where it's like, oh, someone comments on superhero cinema, like, in 2011. That's, that's kind of interesting on itself. And so Thank he's like... Thank God <laughs> he's... Sta- well, I guess he's doing the gray man or whatever the fuck, so I guess we... Right, I guess, I guess like, he, he's now into a franchise, but I think he thought of um, the jacket as a, uh, as, like, a superhero costume that he dons to, like, Moonlight as the, uh, the getaway driver, but then, like, once it's off, then it can, like, you know, release some sort of darkness. Um, no, I don't know if he's been better, if, you know, because, like, after this, we've we've previously covered the big short, uh, Blade Runner and The Nice Guys, but I think those all show different shades, and this one is sort of, like, the birth of, like, the new silent internal sort of, like... He's con- pretty incredible in The Nice Guys. Yeah. 
Um, but no, this was, this is sort of the birth of a new side of him, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, with The Notebook, you kind of saw him move out of playing teens and kids, and then he kind of tried a few things in his 20s, but nothing really stuck except Half Nelson. And this is closer to Half Nelson. Half Nelson, of... though, is uh, uh, important that it's his first nomination. Yeah, yeah. Half Nelson is sort of the closest he came to finding what works best for him which you, then you see his best roles being things like Half Nelson, Blue Valentine, and, and Drive. Mm-hmm. And I think when he, although to, to um, your point, he also is very funny. And when he has the right kind of comedy, is great at being funny as well. But I think he really starts to find who he is as a performer, starting with, with Drive. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, the relationship that him and Refn have, because like, Refn is a great, actor's director um as well like the like everything in the film i think the performances feel so measured as well as what is spoken and what's not spoken and and sort of like the body language um something that i found out about refin as well i don't know if he watches much tv because <laughs> like this is in the middle of breaking bad and Mad Men. he was asked about both hendrix and cranston and he's just like Oh yeah, well you know the casting director came up with me with a list of names and Cranston and Hendricks were both right for the part, and it's just like it's kind of interesting where it's like and he didn't see uh, an education either. Like uh, I think Carrie Mulligan came and auditioned, um, but it's weird. I I was like it's kind of weird that Christina Hendricks has been lost. It's television. no, it's kind of a notorious like where did you go? Like you should have. A much bigger, and then I, I'm pretty sure she's in the Neon Demon. Yeah, I can't remember. I saw that in in theaters, and I don't remember much about that movie anymore, mm. um, except for the pool. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I remember. Oh, she is in the Neon Demon. Okay, cool. <laughs> she's also in the Lost River, the Gosling directed movie. I'm curious to see if he ever follows up with that again. I think I don't know. It's one of those things yeah. where I'm like, it, it, it like, kind of looks like, oh yeah, I tried that, didn't yeah. work. Let's just not do that again. And people didn't like it, right? So I guess. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, do you think he'll ever be better than he is in Drive? I mean, uh, that's kind of a yeah, loaded question. That's hard. But it is one of those. It is one of those things though. It's where it's like, on one hand, yes, it's. I, I bet he felt like great. Like, oh yeah, this was. You know, everyone loves it. This is such a great. You know, I'm. I. I it's considered to be a great performance. Yeah. This is a big highlight of my career. But there has to also be a voice in the back of his head. It's like, oh, I guess I. This is. Is this my peak? Did I just peak? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and his peak is he ten also, years ago. Yeah. He also has that, um, is in that era of his career where, or as a person, where he has two children. Mm-hmm. And right. I think you often see uh, actors pivot a bit when they become parents, partly because people's values sometimes change, and partly because they're like, oh shit, I have like two lives that I have to pay for college for, right? right? And, and that changes, I feel like The Gray Man in particular... Yes. Is a film that you do because you get a huge but you get a huge upfront for it, and you put all that money to your kid's college fund, kind of thing. Mm. Well, yeah, that's when you start building generational wealth. Yeah, yeah, um, that's what it. That's what that movie feels like to me. But then Barbie and next year, you know, that's the one for me. Right? I oh, would assume. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's I although, forgot. I'm like okay, that makes although me happy. Barbie's also with a studio though, right? Yeah, that's so the true. Budget yeah. Was, like, no, no, it's true. Yeah, it, yeah. He got paid for that. There's Pay no question. Pay was probably they, really high. Yeah. Oh, I bet so. I mean, with 
that yeah, kind Warner of... Yeah, Warner Brothers. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's one of those things, at least... Like, he didn't... You know, it's... It, he didn't have to do that. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, there no, was... No, did you see this, the story he said about why he agreed? Yeah. Because he's always felt like a Ken. Yeah. No, he, he found, a, a, like, a dead Ken doll or something on his... On the ground... That's right. I think it was like missing a head. Maybe I can't remember. It was, Greta, like, it was all messed up. And yeah, and he was like, the story needs to be told. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah, he's like, so, under Ken. Yes. If, he's if, one of those people I can't tell if he lies or not. <laughs> I, I, it feels, unless he was always like this and always making stuff up in, in um, when he was on like talk shows, it feels in line with the kind of person right. he was yeah there's i there's a great interview he did i want to say it was when he was doing drive mm. um the drive press cycle where he was on colbert maybe or uh no it was conan he was on conan and he tells a story about the the disneyland cats and that's all i'm gonna say you should just google Ooh. ryan gosling disneyland cats conan and it's one of the funniest like two minutes on late night television it like lives in my head rent free. Yeah, he's a very charming. I I think his sense of you... humor is spectacular. And when I was yes. doing research for Nice Guys, like the fact that he did so much with Russell Russell Crowe, it's just them doing bits. It's just um, and he and he just like this he is, told this, this is... story about like meeting um, Shane Black, and it's just like oh gosh, it, it's been it's fantastic. And I, I think that's like when it's the point in twenty sixteen. When he starts to care a little less about um, uh, press and uh, and doing junkets, and you're just like, yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of see it. Um, but no, I think I think to, to the building of generational wealth and and thinking about your family's financial situations, it's not talked. We we don't think about that <laughs> when we look at actors' career choices. And I, I mean, certainly I don't. Um, where it's like God's like gray man seriously and then I guess like when you think about that perspective um, and you know him and Eva Mendez still together at this point um, yeah it's like and him yeah, saying that he would want to do Marvel or whatever right like him yeah like and it's one of those things now it's like he's if he does Marvel he's gonna definitely do a press tour of saying yeah I wanted to do it for my kids right because like you know I wanted I wanted the kids to see me as a superhero like yeah. that's you know that in Hopefully it doesn't like go Anthony Mackie. I think has a similar thing. Like it's first. Yeah, kids. he always yeah. says yeah. that. Yeah. When it when, with Anthony Mackie, for some reason, I I don't know. Sometimes I'm just like, yeah, sure. You you just want you know like you want right. That's the only and reason. Like, yeah. Right. Like, come on. Um, but yeah, it's one of those interesting. Yeah, I hope that this doesn't go down that route. And if it does, hopefully he does the Isaac where he doesn't. He's not committed to anything. But, but is Ryan Gosling a movie star? Hmm. Mm. I definitely nice guys, bombs. Uh, Blade Runner first man bombs. Do that well. Like, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think he is someone who you say Ryan Gosling. People have an idea, right? Of who he is, right? I mean, this kind of like bombs he's a household name a little bit. Yeah, I think he's more Ryan Gosling as a household name as opposed to Ryan Gosling as a movie star. But I, exactly. I yeah, but I don't know that anyone really is. With the, with the ec- economy of how film works now, I don't know that anyone is, can open mm-hmm. something Curtis, just on their it. name. Because, yeah. um, like, even you could argue maybe 
Ryan Reynolds, right? But Free Guy didn't do as well as it could, although it was released in the midst of, of quarantine just slowly coming off. But And apparently every know. single person on the planet has seen Red Notice. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I have seen Red Notice, even though I don't remember seeing mm-hmm. Red Notice, but uh, I must have if those Netflix numbers mm-hmm. are correct because everyone saw Red Notice. You wrote um, directed it, so, yeah. I've, <laughs> don't say that again. Uh but even like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he's had some bombs. Yeah, like yeah. I don't know, was I don't think Rampage was all that successful. And you, well, you skyscraper was all that. You successful. say that, and you're like, "Well, Dwayne Johnson, I think is." But he's considered a us. movie star. We, he's considered yeah in the in the modern economy. Um, and I think we're we're assuming Black Edmund's going to do well. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can only imagine how the Gray Man would have done I'll if it were in it. theaters. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's right. kind of also. The idea of once upon a time a movie star is someone who could get a script greenlit, mm-hmm. right? And I do think Gosling still has that, where kind of like um um it's the guy from Harry Potter, actual Harry Potter, Radcliffe. Yes, um, I don't know why his his name just left. Actual yeah, Harry I, I thought like actual left. Harry Potter is Harry Potter based um, on a real person. Yes, um, he's somebody who you know he used his his stardom as harry potter right not he you know he's not a movie star right but he's a name because he was harry potter and he's that to get smaller films greenlit and that's why his filmography post harry potter is like the wildest you know thing of some of the movies are fantastic and some of them are absolutely terrible but (laughs) they all got made because his name was attached yeah Yeah. and and i i do think in the current hollywood economy it's less a movie star is less someone who can get huge box office and more someone who can get immediately get a green light and if you're looking at that metric then i do think ryan gosling counts and i guess you can't even say cruise because i just thought about that i'm like oh the mummy is a notorious bomb that that thing fucking flopped like you can't even say tom cruise and that's how crazy this state of the the movie star economy is you can't even say like the like the biggest movie star in the world tom cruise yeah it's crazy. It's kind of shifted more to IPs being the star rather than the talent being the star. Yeah. Right. Like, we bring up Robert Pattinson earlier, and I think that there's, like, a something similar there. That you're just, that you can kind of have the, especially post the Batman, I guess. But even then, I think it's, like, something similar where to Gosling, I think it's, like, the closest thing I could also think of. I think Pattinson, it's the one, it's the one-two punch of Tenet and Batman. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just the combo, just boom, boom, yeah. like have kind of just like kicking your feet uh, into the door. And I think what the moment we heard him cast it at at with both um, was Tenet. We did was he casted as Batman or his character in Tenet first? I would have to assume it was Batman first, since I remembered that announcement was like 2019. It was like a while ago. You wrote you wrote, you wrote uh, a piece on it. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's one of those things where. Yeah, and I, I, it's funny. It's like I don't know if Gosling. Well, I got you know no, that's not true because you know Crazy Stupid Love is a big hit. Notebook obviously is a big hit. Um, big Short did well. Uh, fucking I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't. I think it's truly just one of those things where I don't think you can really describe what a movie star is anymore. It's yeah. one of those. I mean, like you said, uh, Mariah, it's like maybe it's just people who can get stuff greenlit, yeah. but it, it's up in the air. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I guess Chris Pratt's a fucking movie star, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Which Oof. is, well, I know. That's right? bleak. That's bleak. Yeah. Super bleak, but. Yeah. yeah. 
Nothing, re- nothing but respect for my Mario slash Garfield. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's that's from the filmmaker of Red Notice, everybody. Um, if we want to talk about Oscar Isaac for a little bit, you know, very short role in here. Uh, I feel like I've been talking about I know. So I was just going to say, for, that's why he said a little bit, right? We were just on Oscar's podcast. Uh, by the time this comes out, I think our episode will be out, I believe. But here, right, you know... Coming off of the Ridley movies, I suppose, you know, Body of Lies and Robin Hood, like there's getting some sort of name going. Um. <laughs> That's just a very funny. The Ridley movies, the two movies right. that no one talks about. <laughs> the Ridley movies that are everyone's favorites. Um. Two movies that don't exist. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I'm just trying to think like if like he's he's great in this. I thought because uh, he's not like a scuzzy sort of like low life i think he's just like caught in the right and the like wrong time wrong people sort of like he's trying to do well um like he brings a lot uh, what he's doing in that in that di- like the dinner scene when he's talking about that story of his wife it's so hard yeah yeah, I know. yeah and I, I, lo- I love that scene of uh of standard and driver in the hallway where he's like yeah thank you for think for taking care of my kid you know it's like very genuine but he's also like a little paranoid because he's like putting the pieces together like there's been another well he's also bit person in the house the way he says it he's being genuine but also saying back off exactly that's like yes. that's yeah it's very very yeah good. and then you um, see the power dynamic and immediately shift once driver sees him like bloodied and like nearly passed out in that parking garage yeah like i have something yeah, on right, right now you right. need my help yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, you know, the help eventually turns into, like, Blanche and Cook and, and that god-awful robbery. And then we see, like, yeah, I mean, with the one car chase that's featured, or one of the only car chases featured, that it's almost like the movie, in a, I think in a really smart way, is, like, rushing to get done with. Because <laughs> then, um, no, it, it's, it almost feels like it's the lamest part of the movie because everything else is just so captivating. It's interesting that he'd been in so many films and not really noticed. And I, I, even seeing Drive six times or whatever, I still didn't really know who he was until um, Inside Lewin Davis, mm-hmm. like two years later. And then I was looking him up and I was like, wait a minute, this is that guy from Drive? <laughs> what? Like, I hadn't put that together when I first saw that movie. And then you're like, you do, you, you then watch Drive again and you're like, holy shit, he's fantastic in this. But he's so good at not stealing the, the thunder from either Carrie Mulligan yeah. or Gosling because he knows that they're the two, they're what you're there for, mm-hmm. that he's there and he's so good, but he's not ever showy. Yeah, And right. that's a great supporting actor where he does, he's so good, but he's not ever Still memorable, but not showy. Away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just solid great work and then and then you know he blows up and yes which is which is fantastic um although still no oscar nominations which is not fantastic no oscars for oscar and we ride that (laughs) that was right there no not yet yeah that'll come i I, it was i I think maybe the one of the biggest rants i've ever been on was on the oscars podcast we did uh with him not getting nominated for Card Counter. It's truly one yeah. of the worst things to ever happen in human society. You stepped on a soapbox. and I step, I, I brought out my soapbox, uh, brought out my flaming sword and five hand grenades, <laughs> and I shouted on top of a mountain 
this will not go unpunished. Mm-hmm. While reading quotes from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, you were you developed like a preacher persona talking about Of yeah. course. Um but no, I mean like then the uh the getaway then like turns into the motel scene, which like again, like a very striking like uh like set piece for me, like seeing this with a fever. <laughs> Like just, like seeing it all slow down, and then like, you know, Gosling's yeah, like motion must have been bloody face you. like spraying on right. Yeah, it's like, he he feels like one of those actors like Harvey Keitel, who it he spent twenty years being like the best and not getting a nomination, and then he finally got a nomination sort of mid career for Bugsy, mm-hmm. and I it feels like I mean but you look back at all the ones where he wasn't nominated like Mean Streets and and Taxi Driver and. Alice doesn't live here anymore, and all these, like, great supporting performances, and I feel like that's what we're gonna get with Oscar Isaac, where it's gonna be, like, a dozen times he could have been nominated, and when he finally does, you're like, for that one? Yeah. Not, not to, right. not to, not to dismiss, you know, Keitel's nominated performance, but it's like, really? That's not the one you expect. Yeah, exactly. To see the nomination next to you. I feel like that's what's gonna happen with Oscar Isaac. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because Ke- Keitel yeah, still kinda, never it's won. It's one of those. He hasn't no, won, right. no. And I, th- I think Bugsy's still his only. Yeah. Nomination. Not, I, I don't just... think Last Temptation, but that's what. That's what. Comes He's from. a shoe in for an honorary mm. one, like a shoe fucking win. Yeah. Like, I hope, no I hope way. so. Yeah. He's so good, consistently good, mm-hmm. and also a nice guy. Mm. Which Seems is a, like which it. is which is a plus. <laughs> Always a plus. Uh. Yeah, it's one of those things people will look at back at, like, the card counter as, like, Kaitel's bad lieutenant, mm. where you're just like, that's, like, one of the best things. It's one of the seen. great matches of character and actor, yeah. Right, it's one of, like, oh, that's, like, a one of the, like, just, a you know, a fucking powerhouse performance. Yes, yeah. and I think matches of character and actor, I think that's also a way to describe Gosling the Driver, where it's just, like... Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's them matching, but also, like, at where they at where they are at in their lives and careers to where it's like they yeah. they could only play this in 2011. You know, Kaitel only in 92 for Bad Lieutenant, right? Yes, exactly. It it, it has to be now. Mm-hmm. Like we said, it's like Gosling's age plays a very important part of how you view the character yeah. in general. It's the immediacy of it all. Um, and I'm not saying it would be bad if the character was older. I'm just saying that it's just very, it, it just adds a lot more if he is this age rather yeah. than another age. Uh, we know that it could not be uh, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> right. No. That's just wild. I Absolutely wonder if, wild. who was the person to be like, no, we can't do this. I'm guessing it was Hugh. Mm. Yeah, I, like, I think it just took a while know. to develop, and then like slowly they just kind of like had other things going on. I think it was one of those situations. Right. Um, I guess they didn't realize. Oh, this is an awful idea. Why yeah. are we doing this? Uh, I guess Refn auditioned porn actresses to be playing Blanche instead of Christina Hendricks at first, which is interesting. Like you can kind of see it. You can see it in conversion yeah. of like a. Of I don't a know. First how we, if actor. you're Christina Blanche, if you're if you're a Christina Hendricks, I don't. How do you? How do you feel about that? You're like, oh. Okay. Yeah, like you were this. <laughs> really. You were like a you few, thought of me? Like a few names lower on the list, yeah. I guess like she right. had what, what? Mad Men going on, so I guess like she had to like fit it, fit like a small role in or something. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it also it also feels like 
at first perhaps he didn't see the value of that character mm. and then you get someone like Hendrix in it not to not to dismiss the, the porn actresses but right. um you know I it feels like there was a look he was looking for not necessarily a talent mm-hmm. Absolutely. and and then you find Christina and she has both mm-hmm. you know and she is able to I think bring more to that role again like Carrie Mulligan than is actually on the page which which is what that crazy alchemy of of film where sometimes you know you could tell if a role is maybe underwritten but an actor comes in and brings something to it that elevates it right and that's the magic yeah i think i remember there's like a few instances of that happening in neon demon as well where it's like you just kind of like look the part more than it's like it's sort of like the opposite um the opposite yeah it's the opposite i think there's some clunky there's some some clunky performances in Neon Demon. Although maybe that's what he was going for yeah. because he want that's what he was trying for. I don't know, but yeah, some of the some of the actresses are a bit clunky. Yeah, that. certainly. Yeah, they'll they'll be like an interesting one to rewatch someday. Just because I think there is, I do remember it being the instance he's extending what he what he started saying with this about like L.A. and like the entertainment industry, um, but successfully. We don't know because we'll have to cover it. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think I, it's interesting. The ambition of the thematics of that film are interesting. Yeah. I don't know that the um, I don't think he lands mm-hmm. it because <laughs> I read a lot of interviews about why he wanted to make that movie and what he was trying to do, and I was like, oh man, you really, yeah. you really tried. Yeah. I'm gonna give no, it to you because you tried. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, people read. Good job, sport. Good job. Yeah, yeah that's kind of how I felt. <laughs> yeah, and. It, I mean, like, was it, were you going, go, like, seeing this a number of times, were you, like, refing is, I'm, like, in the bag for you, and then, like, uh. No, I actually went to Neon Demon because I am a huge Elle Fanning fan, yeah. <laughs> and that was what brought me to that movie. I was like, I gotta see Elle Fanning, and um, I also really love Alessandro Nivola, yeah. and he, yeah. he's got a small role in that. Yeah, like Keanu. So that was more... Yeah, that was more the um, the cast than mm. the director. Yeah, Jenna Malone. Like, everyone's good in it. It's just a matter of, like, how they're positioned. You know? And then to have, like, um, Oh My God Forgives in between these two. It is interesting to have, like, that's the outlier. Like, it feels like it would come after Neon Demon. Is he, gonna, is he just now just making TikToks with his daughter, or is I, he going to do I something? I guess so. I don't. I, I haven't, I don't think I've heard, like, uh, reports of a new feature. Um I would assume. Yeah, maybe he's in, enjoying being like a, a, a dad, dad for a while, yeah. which is you know, yeah. He's if he's got the money to do it, might as well. And it's like I'm sure uh, Too Old to Die Young like took a lot to just make a TV show where you direct the entirety. Um, where is he from again? Is it Denmark. Danish? Yeah, he's Danish. Denmark, I believe, yeah. yeah. So I to say Norway, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right because, yeah. and Mickelson is also Danish, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's why they were in the... Right. That was his uh, debut film. Exactly. Okay. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's one of those things with Refn. I'm just like, it's so interesting. Like, you know, I love Bronson. I love Drive. And he's just like, I don't know. You know, I'll watch his other shit eventually. Mm-hmm. There's so many directors where I'm like that. And I, I guess I'm just very much not a completionist with filmography. Like, some of my favorite directors I haven't... Like, yeah, like, Carpenter's my favorite director of all time. I still haven't seen a decent amount of his movies. I mean, not like a ton, but like like three or four. The uh, thing about being a completist, though, is like it, it's always fun to have one or two left, right? right? 
And like for example, I've seen all but all but um full metal jacket for Kubrick. And part of the reason is I like having a Kubrick lift. And part yes. of it is I'm waiting to see that on the big screen. I want to see it on the big screen. I'm waiting for a rep screening. And that's not one that's screened that often. So someday the, I'll watch the Kubrick, but I always have it sort of waiting for Certainly. me. Certainly. I think that's kind of, I think that's good. It's also one of those, like, huge blinds. Like, when you have, like, a huge blind spot, it's like, when am I going to watch that? Like, when's the time? You know, you've put it off for so long. It's like, when am I going to watch Barry Lyndon? I've never seen Barry Lyndon. When... When's the time to watch Barry Lyndon? Is it today? Is it tomorrow? Like <laughs> that's a huge fucking movie. It's like every every time is the time to watch Barry Lyndon. Right. But the actual what I've the real of. answer there is wait for a seventy millimeter screening. Yeah. Right. Because right. it is glorious. Yes. Um, that's the answer there. I agree. As Barry Lyndon is my favorite uh, Kubrick, but that's yeah. my favorite Kubrick yeah. as well. Yeah. It's um, rules. I haven't seen Eyes Wide yeah. Shut. Oh, also see that also, at seventy yeah. millimeter screening yeah. if you can. Yeah. yeah. But it's a good one. I, uh, it's a perennial Christmas classic. Yeah, now. I see it every Christmas. It's, yeah. They always play it at Christmas. I'm like, great. I guess that's when I should watch Eyes Wide Shut as Christmas. Yeah, it's a great Christmas film. This last year, uh, the Academy showed it on Thanksgiving, and so there were about in in LA there were about twenty five people at this like Thanksgiving screening of Eyes Wide that Shut. Rules. It was glorious. It was glorious. Yeah. A bunch of weirdos <laughs> with no family. Bunch of sickos. It was fantastic. Yeah. Pretty much, Aww. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we were a family that day. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the it made a surrogate family. That's like me watching Uncut Gems on Christmas Day before I had a family get together. Like get together. Like I watched Uncut Gems. It was, no, was it was is it Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? I forget. I watch Uncut Gems, go to whatever, and like I, I go, I go to uh, my uncle's house, and everyone there is like, "Oh, Clay, what did you do today?" I'm like, "I wanted to go see Uncut Gems." Yeah. And you're like, "What the?" And so I went to New York. Like, the fuck you do that for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know it had its premiere on Christmas Eve, and then I saw it on Christmas Day as well, and that really brought brought in the uh, the Christmas spirit. I think you should show as I chat to your family, and just, like genuinely no bits. You know, it's just like that'll. As a bit, I almost want to do it. As a like, yeah, we should watch this. They'd probably decline, yeah. but I could. You should, just, you should call it a them. call it a Christmas classic. <laughs> right. Yeah, if you say that. Well, yeah. The thing is, I bet one of them knows Eyes Wide yeah. Shut, and if one of them knows it, that means everyone. That ruins be the like, joke. Yeah. 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 Right. Then. Well, Damn. Yeah. One, it ruins the joke, and one, they're like, "No, I don't want to watch that now." Are you kidding? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, just be like really yeah. sincere about it. Like, guys, what do you think of Eyes Wide Shut? And just like, don't like crack a <laughs> smile or anything. Just like, yeah, what do you, what do we think? Like, or just like I throw it in there with a few other suggestions. Yeah, like we could do right, we exactly. Could do, like, All right, we it's can a watch Wonderful Home Life. Alone, yeah, Home Alone. A yeah, Christmas yeah. Story. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I covered sound design, which is the most important part for yeah. me. So I feel like that's an underrated part as well. I was so invested. I probably there's probably dozens of tweets mm. about drive and sound on my Twitter from the day back in the day. I mean the cr- like I I think anytime someone is crunching ahead with their foot, you have to have the good crunches, or you it's know not gonna the feel the actually I'm gonna save this for the favorite favorite scene. I have a okay. story, but it's gonna go further with okay. the favorite scene awesome. section. I love it. Yeah, let's get love into it, it then. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, Mar- Mariah. Yeah, yeah Mar- please. Yeah, oh, yeah. Should I just yeah, go? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Mariah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, story time. Yeah. In terms of like emotional investment, my favorite scene is when they're staring at each other. I love it. But in terms of of sheer enjoyment in the theaters, 
Um, as I said, I saw this uh, six different times with six different, very different audiences. And every time, uh, we've already kind of spoiled stuff. So spoilers for if you're listening for two hours and you haven't seen Drive. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing at this point, but spoilers. <laughs> um, when when um, Christina Hendricks gets shot in the head and her head just explodes and he like slows it down, right? The different audience reactions to that shot like the the Gosling girls that were like clearly Notebook fans, they were horrified. That's At one time, there was an audience awesome. with a bunch of teenage boys, and they fucking loved it. And it was oh, just no. always like the Castro was a little more like refined, older audience, and it it just it played differently to each audience. And it got to a point where I was not really watching the scene; I was watching the audience right. to see how they would right. react. Um, so that's my favorite, just because it it really causes a different visceral reaction depending on what kind of person you are fantastic it it, it becomes a sociology uh experiment yeah. where you're like mm-hmm. yeah when you said the teen boys were into it i'm like oh wait no that's actually kind of wait what is what does that mean <laughs> like <laughs> a woman being obliterated wait oh no what have we done yeah um, it's great Yeah, no, that's that's all. Yeah, I, any so yeah, even anytime someone's like, oh, the movie theaters are overrated or whatever because of X, Y, and Z. You know, like audiences are obnoxious or you know phones or whatever. You know, on one hand, I'm kind of sympathetic with that. There's been plenty of times when I'm just like, Jesus Christ, just watch the fucking movie. You know, like stop talking, stop ha- you know having your phone out. It can sometimes get really fucking annoying. But on the other hand, it's like. Who wants to miss that audience shit? Because one, it's like, yes, it's, it, it hands us the experience of just like watching a film, but one, it also gives you a story. 
And it also gives you, like, you know, a kind of better idea of people, mm. a better understanding yeah. of people. Um, I mean, one of my favorite stories of all time is Jack's story of watching the killing of a sacred deer. It's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. Where, he, I mean, I don't, I, I'll just, since we've talked about the story, I think, a few times, it's one of those, like, people would periodically leave the theater as he was watching it. Uh, and depending on the scene, that was, like, their enough. That yeah. was their line. And so yeah. it happened periodically through the movie. And I think, and I just imagine that. And I think about that, and I find that so yeah. fucking funny. Because it's just, like, one of those things where you're like, all right, which, is this the scene that gets people out? It's like, oh, that was the one. All right. You know, like two And the cherry on out. top is, like, oh, my friends from high school and I look at each other when it says, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, like, we look at each other. We loved it. <laughs> so we, we were the only ones, we were the only ones left. And we were like, that was fabulous. Oh. <laughs> Beautiful yeah. story. Yeah. Masterpiece. <laughs> Love it. Oh. Yeah, uh, it was pretty instant when I saw it. It was the beginning. Mm, yeah. um, we never I mean, mentioned that opening. It, yeah. That's right. Yeah, tick, tick of the clock. Yeah. yeah. So oh, good. I mean, it, it reminds... And the Martinez score. I don't know if this... Going. Yeah, right. it's great. I don't know if this sounds stupid, but I'm going to say it anyways. It kind of reminds me of the stars, uh, A Star is Born in a way that it's like, <laughs> if you stop that... Like Bradley Cooper pulled a lot for Jackson Maine from this performance. Right, right, of course. The moment Gaga steps on stage and sings Shallow for the first time, if you end the movie like two minutes after that, that's like the the most perfect short film ever. Ever, 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 ever. Like, because that's a pure euphoric experience Mm. where you're just like, holy fuck. Like, in the theater, it was like magical. And I love that movie. Or I really like that movie, but in it not even saying I'm the one that, between us does, who loves. You know, you're just like, yeah. Right. Like, I wish it was, it ended yeah. there. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it, like, as a thought experiment. Yeah. With Drive, it's, like, kind of that same idea of, again, I love the entirety of the movie, but I just imagine, like, the the, the first heist is the only thing mm. that's, like, the... Because, one, it just, it does everything you need. There's no, you don't need background. You don't need story. That opening of him giving the rules, uh, you have five minutes. I don't, don't, I don't hold a gun. Right, 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 right. All that shit. And that's, like, perfect. Um, And just have it end right after that first heist would just be, like, just imagine that being, like, a short film. You're, like, holy fucking shit. Um, But, yeah, and there's this, you know, there's one shot of, it's, like, him as he's driving and you can just see the lights on the windshield just kind of move past like just kind of you know like just move past him yeah. all the street lights and stuff it's gorgeous that, oh and it's just like oh okay this is like incredible this is just one of the just like most beautiful yeah Refn feels comfortable decade. with the filmmaking too um but also just yeah was, so yeah crazy. thomas new single oh. like seagull who's like what like shot shot it like so beautifully who's like you know, one of Brian Singer's guys, you know, like, you know, kind of weird, but yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. rap. Great yeah. looking fucking.
For, yeah, for me, I think I'll say the diner scene again because I just I think it's like the very important pivot that you notice with Driver, where it's just the darkness is even bigger than I think we assume. Where it's like he can't he kind of keeps the uh, the getaway driving and everything else very separate. Um, to I mean, like any other uh, criminal work, but I think with with this, it's just like very particular, even more so than if that job that that someone recognized him at the diner um, if that job had gone poorly or something. Um, but I think it just, like, he kind of treats every client the same. Um, and, you know, it's another thing that I, I realized with Pattinson and Gosling. I think that they're, like, trying to escape the romantic comedy aspect of their careers. Like, um, and maybe not actively, like, they disown them, but I think it's, like, their choices after that. Uh, kind of reflect that, like Gosling with the notebook and Panson with Remember Me. You shan't his buddy, right? We met last year. You drove me and my brother back from Palm Springs. We hired another wheelman. I spent six months in jail. My brother, he got himself killed. I got this sweet job coming up. How about this? Shut your mouth. Or I'll kick your teeth down your throat and I'll shut it for you. Yeah, I, I think they, you know, everyone tries their hand at that and then sort of pivots mm -hmm. away. Um, but there are some actors who would just thrive if we bring if we could just bring the romantic comedy back. Like they were, Jennifer they should, they, Lawrence. they should be. Um, uh, Mikael Huseman, he's got one of those like buff bodies that they always try to make him an action star. But when he does romances, he's the most charming charming lead and it's like just let him do romances yeah. but give him good romances give him good I, romances right i want to see trevante rhodes do a romance film yes like, yes he has he he was he has yeah. it he has 
has that charm. Absolutely. Fuck the predator. Have him just be like in an actual like sweet romance. Mm. Like, come on. Yes. Like, this isn't. It's one of those things where like this isn't science, people. This isn't like math. It's like you know, one plus one equals two. Let's let's just call a spade yeah. a spade. Let's just. I want you back with, uh, you know, like uh, Charlie and Jenny. Like, I feel like we should have like five of those. Like this year yeah jenny slate definitely has big romantic comedy lead energy and she's only gotten to do like what, i know two, yeah three, and we've of. covered one of them with yeah. obvious childs but uh but that was so that was like 2014 it's yeah cra- i know it's crazy i know it's one of those yeah. things like she should have gotten like she had five several movies yeah. after that Ugh, i know it's so strange yeah well i'm sure we'll approach that topic another time again but Mariah gates thank you so much so much for being here we loved having you please come back yeah this was this was fantastic i um any chance i get when i saw that drive hadn't been done you sent me that list i was like what (laughs) and also this is it this is the movie it's time Um, it's time (laughs) it's the movie um yeah where can everybody find your work and what you've been working on recently what this episode will be out in like september if there's anything that will be out for you at that time okay do you think early september or late Mm, september early to mid i just didn't i just okay okay date quite yet that's good. I was just trying to decide if it was going to be pre-tiff or post-tiff. Um, so, so people can find me pretty much anywhere on the internet under Old old Films Flickr. Um, I'm still on Tumblr. I've always been on Tumblr. I've been on Tumblr since 2008. Yes, Pre-drive. 2008. Wow. Um, I've been on Tumblr forever. <laughs> um, uh, never have a Tumblr tab closed. I'm um, also on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, um, Letterboxd. It's all Old Film Slicker for movie stuff. And then uh, I have a Substack newsletter, oldfilmslicker.substack.com. I pivoted my blog to the newsletter. And um, every Friday I do a viewing guide specifically about films directed by women um, where I recommend six to seven films, like one or two new releases, and then some deep cuts on the various streaming platforms. Um, to try to give people sort of a, a picture of, of what's out there. Um, and there's always lots of gems. And uh, I, I'm either about to go to or have just returned, based on when you are listening, uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. I think that'll be my seventh festival this year somehow. Wow. Yeah, so many. Um, so I don't know what I've seen there or what I will see there yet. But um, All in person, to, or did you do one virtual um, one? I did a few virtual festivals okay. but i've done four or five in person this year already so, so it's it's wild no. i love festivals but um tiff is a great festival and i always find gems and see films there that no one else sees so um i'll probably do a, a, a Substack wrap-up of tiff as nice. well so, and that is my cat i don't know if you <laughs> can hear that no the kitty she is meowing she we is get, we get a little bit like, of where have you where have you been for two hours <laughs> hello give me attention yeah. yeah she does not subscribe to my yeah. newsletter is that your cat is not going to tiff no <laughs> what if you just brought your cat to tiff? i mean That's that would be who great. would deny you of such it's like I don't know if you saw that Taylor Swift uh, Miss Miss Americana documentary, did, yeah. but she has like a that tra- that backpack that her cat travels in <laughs> yeah. that has like a little see through globe in the back. Yeah, so it's the like what's the big deal? Out. Why can't we just oh, have that? What? You know, a normal. Yeah, I need that yeah. for yeah. my cat. That's what I need. <laughs> Miss, you're not allowed to bring the cat into the streaming or in the, into the screening room. Taylor Swift did it. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. It's like I just imagine That's you now, like you're interviewing the cast of the Fablemans, and then like you have this cat backpack. Like, what's the? 
she's she's got a very Miss Fanny mostly likes um, Tarkovsky, <laughs> which is funny because I don't like Tarkovsky, but that is she, funny. she, yeah. she it's a bit was tense beguiled with the... by Tarkovsky. Yes. I have photos. She watched every single one of those movies. It's she so... normally doesn't watch movies. I don't know. It's so funny because it's like I feel like that's more of a cat thing than a dog mm. thing. Like I feel like cats watch movies more than dogs. Because mm. yeah. I'm always trying to get cast to watch mm. something, and he's like, "Fuck this right. shit," and I'm like, "All right, right." It's I, I think trying yeah. to share an experience for with my you, dog. It's like and the... you're just being like this. <laughs> yeah, for my dog, it's like the brightness of the of the screen as well. Mm, interesting. She's like, I just need like a dim. I mean, like a I need I need dim lighting. <laughs> like you know, what? I get it. I get it. Turn the lights off, Jack. Jesus fucking um, Christ. I can be found on Twitter at Jack A. Draper, and my film writing is on the Boston Hassle, and my letterbox is Jack Draper 7. Um, this, yeah, this movie is not streaming anywhere, which I find interesting, for me, at least. It, like, comes on and off Netflix yeah. all the time. Like, they'll have it for a few months, and then it'll go away, and then it'll come back, and I'm like, just... Just stay. stay. Yeah, I know. You, you, it's like, it, it would feel like one of those things that it would gain more popularity um, through, like, a Netflix awareness. But, you know, I'm sure it'll I be back I one day. I think I saw it on Netflix. Yeah. I think the first time I saw it was mm-hmm. on Netflix. I, I own yeah. it now, but I think the first time I saw it was on Netflix. Uh, and then next week is Shin Godzilla 2016's uh, with uh, Brett Westhauer. A lot of... Godzilla talk. Um, I have seen the, <laughs> I have seen the 2014. Uh, I've seen the last mm. three. That's the only Godzilla films I've ever seen. You haven't uh, seen the original Toho Godzillas? No. Oh my god. I gotta watch them. I know. I know. They are the first four or so, including some of the spinoffs like the original Mothra film. Right, right, right. Some of the most interesting political filmmaking. I say political, and I mean it. Filmmaking Absolutely. ever done. Absolutely. And then and then they pivoted to making like Rock'em Sock'em robot movies for the latter half, but those movies are fun too. Um, I highly recommend. I wish that the Criterion set included Mothra because it has Godzilla versus Mothra, but it doesn't have just Mothra, which is my favorite of the OG kaiju movies. Well, now we need the Mothra <laughs> Criterion set. We I need, need the it. Mothra Mothra's great. I love Ma- it. Yeah, Ma- Mothra seems dope. I, I mean, it's so funny. I know a lot about, you know, I obviously knew how political it was just by the mere, like, context of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just haven't seen it. It's it's one of those cultural things. Like, I maybe have seen it through osmosis, but not actually. Yeah, you will, you will have a blast when you do watch them. And I recommend watching the original Japanese Gojira first and then the Raymond Burr Godzilla because they do some changes for the American audience, and it's kind of fascinating to see... Interesting. What America didn't want, <laughs> like the marketers uh-huh. are like, okay, we gotta flip this a little bit. We gotta trim that. And which one do you think is better, or do you? Think I think the original Gojira the... is better. Yeah. Right. No offense to Raymond Burr, mm. but the, the original film is, is one of the best films ever made. Really tense filmmaking. Um, I could go on and on about the Godzilla movies. I love them. The originals. Uh, yes. Right. We will, and we will, we will be doing, I guarantee Brett is, oof, yeah. that episode's going to be long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to like have that uh, kind of like a cane stick that you have back in like the. <laughs> the pull up, yeah, pull them off the stage. Right. <laughs> like just like, all right, come on. Um, and then we pull, it's, yeah. it's just not going to get off the stage. It's just, 
Not going to work. No, no, of course not. He will refuse. No. <laughs> um, everyone can follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and on Letterboxd. You can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clay Williams. You can follow the podcast Twitter account at ETT Pod. You can send us an email at exitingthroughthe2010s at gmail.com, all spelled out. Uh, you can uh, rate, review, subscribe, share us to a friend, retweet, get the word out. Run, run up to people on the street and say, hey, do you listen to Exit th- Exiting Through the 2010s? And before they can answer, say, you should, and then run away. I noticed recently um, that you can rate on Spotify now. Like, rate us on Spotify, you know? Fun. Go do that. Um, break into banks and then leave notes saying, Why, listen to Exiting Through the 2010s, don't steal any money, and then leave. Um, tattoo it on your forehead. Just walk calmly through the street. There's a lot of things right. you can do. And I recommend this all is of just, them. just uh, maybe just, in the same day. Just the start, right, mm-hmm. right. You know, have tattoo your knuckles. See if that the spelling works out. I think you might have to do two letters on a few of them, uh, probably all of them, maybe three even. But let's let's see if that you can do that. Um, so yeah, just plenty of avenues, plenty of avenues. Um, <laughs> and as always, guys, be good to yourself, stay safe, and we'll catch you next time on exiting through the 2010.